Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 969 with David Fouquier. But I mean, I, I definitely think that, that having that early introduction to greatness, it's just like when, you know, why people love to play with LeBron. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when you play with MJ, you play with LeBron, you play with Brady, you know, it's like... You get pulled to that level. You get pulled to that level. And maybe, you know, some people turn that into a career of greatness some people are always going to be a wingman and you know will maybe never have that level of greatness again but just the, just like what that does the infectious energy and that like that that strive for excellence it was really 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 inspirational nice. so i got really lucky are you ready for it factors success stories failures and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge then join eric cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable this episode is brought to you by restaurant systems pro and they are launching their first time ever 60 day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60 day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone fred langley ceo of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the restaurant system pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants fred will teach you recipe costing cards guidance in your books for accounting cash control sales forecasting checklist budgeting for the entire year scheduling for profit it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp this episode brought to you by pop menu are you looking to grow your restaurant in 2023 are you and your team focusing on driving more revenue or connecting with diners more maybe you want to increase sales without physically expanding your brick and mortar if this is all true then you are looking for pop menu pop menu technology for restaurants that are ready to grow for a limited time my listeners can get 100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable go now to get your 100 off your first month and learn more about pop menus entire collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef owner of we all gotta eat david fouquier david are you feeling unstoppable today oh i'm feeling unstoppable yeah dude i'm excited for today's conversation i usually don't try not i try not to do too much research but whenever my guest is on someone else's podcast it's hard to not listen and not hear everything but i know this this is going to be a great conversation because of your your background because of your passion because you're so well spoken i cannot wait to get into it but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra, what do you got for us? I'll tell you, I, I think part of our mission statement as a restaurant group uh, is always to just be the best in class. So my mantra every day I wake up, just be the best at what I do. What's the secret to being the best in class when you have so many different types of restaurants? I think it's just this commitment to excellence and not letting any part of the business not be great. You know, yeah. Whether that be, you know, whether you be a doctor, whether you be a chef, whatever it is, I think you comes naturally to me to try to be the best. I don't know if I was like maybe raised in a competitive household. My brother and I were competitive. My dad is super competitive. 
My mom not so competitive. But, you still uh, even bounce it out, right? Yeah, she was the yin to our yang. Yeah. But we were kind of just raised with this idea. You know, we, we were born and raised in Manhattan. And I think, you know, part of being raised in the city that never sleeps is that there's always somebody trying to be better than you. You know, and there's always, it's a city that like really rewards people who try to be great. Yeah. And greatness is one of those things that it's, it's infectious. You see it, you feel it. And until you like experience it, it's very hard to put your foot down and just say, hey, you know, I want to be great. Yeah. And I think I got really lucky from my very first moments in a professional kitchen working for Danielle Ballou, understanding that their commitment was just to be three Michelin stars, you know, to be the best French restaurant in the world at the time. They were trying to be the best in America at the very least. Uh, but so I got to see that like front row and seeing that was really inspirational. Yeah. Just like the little things, you know, like they sent me back like three times in the first two days because like my shave wasn't close enough or that my tie wasn't done perfectly, you know, like little things like that where, you know, are things that we usually don't think about that they taught me, hey, you know what, like you, it it really doesn't, you know, today I had a scruff, you know, so it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to shave the way I did then, but it, it does give you this, this, this constant reminder of just like, Hey, you know, like everything needs to be perfect. Yeah. It's like the making your bed every day, making your bed every day. Yeah. Yeah. Like shaving, you know, like being clean, being tight, being best in class. And I I love that you pointed out just like the, like the, the quality of New York, like the level of this, like talent that flocks. If you think about it, it's weird. Like where else in the world does like the world bottleneck through? Yeah, think for like a hundred years, like yeah. people were like the the most driven, passionate people who wanted opportunity. Literally, just all bottleneck through that city for a hundred years, and yeah. there's remnants of that there still to this day for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the cities in America that like just goes back the furthest, you know. And, yeah, and I live here in Miami, and, and we love Miami. I between Miami and New York, we love Miami, but Miami has some history, you know. It definitely dates back to the 20s and 30s, and then you got the the Frank Sinatra era of Miami Beach in the 50s and 60s. And like, don't get me wrong, the Art Deco architecture is still strong here, and it still still has an element of you know that culture. Yeah. But New York City just feels it feels old, you know. It yeah. feels like it's been there since you know longer than anywhere else in America, and it feels like one of those places where it was always great you know it was always it was a place where you were a dreamer you had a you know your dedication your drive you went to new york city and that was a kind of where you where you cut your teeth you know you you really made it where you made a difference and for so long i guess like i was born and raised there so it was like kind of there was the only place that i really i new yorkers have this like it's new york or bust type yeah. of attitude you know it's like very very hard to turn your back on new york i think now and now that like we live in like a little bit more of a of a global world uh, where it's a lot easier to bounce around and where like we were just talking about a couple minutes ago, it just this, there's all, you know, main streets across the country are taking inspiration, you know, from the big cities and, yeah. and they're coming in from the coast. Well, it's the cool thing. I mean, that's where the long, for the longest time, that's where the opportunity was. Your yeah. New York's, your Miami's, your Chicago's, your LA's, your San Francisco's of the world. And now I think the opposite's true. Uh, I feel like the world is is the rest of the world is catching up with these cities and they need the talent. They need the people that then that's what's happened for the past like 15 years. You see people go into these cities, building a name for themselves. They can go compete with their mentors or they can take that, that, that those lessons, that knowledge that they learned working for the best and go to East bumfuck wherever and be the best in that 100%. market. Right. Um, so I, I think that's super important. Yeah, for sure. Like part of what makes Europe 
so special in my opinion because I, I, I have European background. My mom and my dad were both born and raised, well, my mom in the Middle East, but raised in Europe. My dad born in uh, Paris, Paris, France and raised in Paris. So uh, I spent a lot of my summers going home, spending time with our families, my grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, pretty much everyone lives across the pond. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's one of those things where like artisan culture is just so strong in Europe. doesn't really matter if you're in the heart of Paris or in like bumfuck town outside of Paris, you're going to have a great baker making the best baguettes yeah. outside of the city or inside of the that city. That is culture. You know, though. it's not like in America where for the longest time, you know, the second you leave 50 miles outside of a major city, like, you know, Winn-Dixie or like Walmart is like the best you're going to do, you know, like the craft bread at Walmart is like the best bread you're going to get within yeah. a 200 mile radius. So I think that now having this more global world where it's just a lot easier to get inspired through Instagram, through travel, just through just podcasts and through just the information era that we live in. It's just definitely allowed people to be yeah. able to, to flock to these little cities and make a big difference. And, and I've, I've actually had great experiences in some, you know, B, C rate cities in America historically that I feel D. like like smaller, even like, D. Yeah. yeah like yeah. even D, even small towns, you know, like during COVID we, we ended up, spending like four months in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Like there's really not much more bummy than that. It's like middle of nowhere, Georgia, three hours from Atlanta, like surrounded by the Blue Ridge mountains. But like, wow, like there was a great craft brewery scene. You know, there was, there were guys making their own wine. There were their yeah. own cheese. There were people making their own cheese, apple orchards that were making beautiful cider, making just like craft, beautiful things that historically definitely wasn't the case in america we're, we're sharing mutual inspiration right now and like that's the cool thing like no matter where you are who you are in the world we have the access to the same inspiration whereas before you'd have to go to it you'd have to go find those people that are doing it and you'd have to take it back but no matter where you are now you can people are putting their lives out there like we're about to share your life story that's inspiration and you can Thank be you. anywhere in the world and a week from now and hear this story and get that inspiration so on that note what is your story, man? Like, where does it make sense? Because you didn't, did you always knew you, you wanted to be a restaurateur? I kind of always knew, yeah. But the first thing I see on your LinkedIn profile is Daniel Balut. Yeah, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was really luck. Really so is that literally your first, like, role? That was my first role, yeah. Wow. So my mom is uh, from Iran, but she grew up in a small town outside of Geneva called Lausanne, which actually has a very famous hospitality program, arguably the most famous one in the world. Um, but... You know, we, she went to middle school and high school in the small town with Danielle Ballou's first wife and, okay. and mother of his children. And then I went to high school with his daughter. Okay. So, you know, back in the early 80s, mid 80s, when, when New York City was like just kind of like getting this like big influx of immigration, you know, like there was a handful of French people. You know, it wasn't like today where you walk down the street and you hear 20 different languages like this concept of like mass immigration to the united states it's, it is a relatively you know it's obviously always been happening but it, it was it's it's a relatively recent phenomenon you know yeah. like sure the people were coming over and on ellis island you know 100 years ago but it was it's very different this more like modern approach of people coming from really random countries well, yeah it's, it, yeah it's, and it's not like, fleeing oppression you know just like coming because this is the land of you know this is the land of dreams you well, know the land of like for refugees too so many we take on so many refugees like, so, many, many, so many from all over the world you know so there's different waves from different parts of the world yeah constantly. different waves yeah. so so my so my mom and my dad i guess they they met in new york city 
and they were part of like a small scene of, of Frenchies, you know, and there was, there was oh, at clip. the time, you know, like a handful of French restaurants in all of New York city. And, uh, and Danielle happened to be, you know, one of the only great chefs who was trying to make his name in New York. And, and I guess at the time my mom and my dad, you know, they fostered that friendship and, you know, us, me and his daughter, Danielle's daughter being the same age, it was just kind of like a natural way for me to always be at their house. And yeah. whenever, you know, when we would do Thanksgiving dinners together, you know, I'd get to eat Danielle's food. I didn't know what I was yeah, eating. I, was, I just knew. I was going to ask, like, at what point did you realize how, like, lucky you, I don't I use the word privilege, to be yeah, able to, like, privileged. have that influence? I honestly, I, I think it was the day that I stepped foot in there for the first time. You're like, time. oh, wait, this is who I've had access to this entire time? Yeah. And, like, and did you realize how lucky you were to, like, be in that kitchen at that I moment? I still look back, and, like, I still don't even think, I think of, like, little 18-year-old shit version of myself, <laughs> and I'm like, no, man, like you totally did not get enough out of it. But then I look back, I'm like, look where I am today. I definitely got something out of it. Yeah, you know? right. But uh, but I mean, I, I definitely think that that having that early introduction to greatness, it's just like when, you know, why people love to play with LeBron. You mm-hmm. know, it's like when you play with MJ, you play with LeBron, you play with Brady, you know, it's like you get pulled to that level. You get pulled to that level. And maybe, you know, some people turn that into a career of greatness some people are always going to be a wingman and you know will maybe never have that level of greatness again but just the, just like what that does the infectious energy and that like that that strive for excellence it was really 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 inspirational nice. so i got really lucky and so obviously this is a big part of your life right huge this part is, this yeah. is your your entry into the restaurant industry daniel blue's restaurant where people have been trying to get jobs there from all over the world over the country you get in what was the first role there where did you start uh so my first my first role you know was actually like kind of like a stagiaire it was a three month very intense but summer program where danielle said to me listen you're going to spend one month working in the kitchen here at danielle and you're going to spend one month working in the front of the house. And then you're going to spend one month popping around at all of our restaurants, just helping out in the office, wow. in the front, in the back. Just kind of, it was really, he took me under his wing. And, and I had, it actually started a long, long, long time ago. Uh, I started really cooking with my grandmothers both on both my sides, which is usually how it starts, I feel like, uh, when people actually knew how to cook at home before Uber Eats. Right. Um, and, uh, I really like got a passion for cooking and at my bar mitzvah when I when a Jewish 13 year old bar mitzvah uh, Danielle made like a speech on the video that I, I still have the video in an amazing picture where he like gifted me a chef's jacket and a chef's hat and and he goes up on the screen and he says very thick accent David I hope one day to eat in your restaurant did it happen yet? It happened. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it happened. That is really so, cool. Uh, so that was really cool. And I think it was just like, a, it was just meant to be. Like I knew I knew from a young age, like we were hosters. My families were, were like the party was always yeah. at our house yeah. situation. And uh, I was like raised in New York City where, you know, like restaurants and small bistros, it's a different type of restaurant in New York City. But New York City restaurants are, are for me, historically the best in America. And just like being exposed to that from a really young age and seeing there was a couple other people who, who I definitely credit for my inspiration and for my just like my passion for the game. Uh, there was like a little bistro next to where we grew up, another French guy called Le Bill Bouquet, which now is a national restaurant chain. I mean, small, but national They're in Atlanta, I think maybe in 
Dallas and uh, New York, the Hamptons. Uh, he's really done some uh, Palm Beach. Philippe was just like the, if Danielle was like my culinary inspiration, Philippe was like my front of the house inspiration. Okay. You know, this guy worked the floor. He was just handsome, cool. He knew everybody. Everybody wanted to know him. Everybody wanted to, you know, every, he was just that guy who just knew. He's a quintessential restaurateur. He knew how to make you feel special. He yeah. knew that when you were going to leave, even if it was just one little table touch, one smile, you know, one bees, as we say in French. You just want to be seen. You know, it was yeah. just one of those things. And he just knew, he knew how to do that while also just like hustling. Like mm. The guy was always moving, always moving, always moving. He'd take a seat for 30 seconds if he liked you. You know, he, him and my mom were really close, so we'd be sitting. And he'd come and sit down. He'd make you feel great for thirty seconds, and just go on to the next do table. The, yeah, yeah. And do the whole do the whole thing all over again. That yeah. role, the host role, is so underrated, in my opinion. Oh, dude, it's industry. a dying art. Oh my god, it's it, the best restaurateurs in the world. I think, in my mind, are start as hosts. Look at Danny Meyer. That was that's the role he played. That's his shtick. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's such a powerful role, and it can make or break a restaurant. And then people put energy in just the seeing their guests and b- being present with their guests. That's the stuff that keeps people coming back. Oh yeah, customer retention before yeah. these you know incentive apps and all these different yeah. uh, mechanisms that we have with getting people's emails and things of that nature. It was literally like handing out your card. Yeah. They're or, not loyal you know, to you. They're loyal to the discount. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They're loyal to the discount. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm loving the conversation, man. I really am. It's going to be hard for me to kind of keep, because we have a lot to cover. I yeah, want to make sure we sure. share your full story. Sure. Um, fast forward real quick. Without mm. getting into detail, just, tell, just drop the path you took. So, you, you staged with Daniel Ballou. Yeah. What, what trajectory did you get sent on after that? So I, I went to University of Miami first. I came here after high school. Uh, I, I just had like this like little childhood crush on Miami yeah. and we would come here. I, I used to have an uncle that lived here, my mom's brother and, and some cousins. So we would come down here like, you know, winter break or, you know, spring break, whatever, a couple times a year. And, and every time we'd come over here and we'd drive over the Key Biscayne Causeway, uh, the Rickenbacker, they call it, I would just like be like, in awe, this like city on the water with right. all these big buildings and the beach and beautiful people. I'll say <laughs> I was too young to even yeah. know, you yeah. know, I just, I just was like, it was really the, the, the high level yeah. stuff that yeah. I, that I was really shiny. into the shiny, yeah. the big, the water. I love the water. Mm-hmm. I still love the water. I, I'm mesmerized by the water here. Right. And, um, and I, I, I knew from a young age that this was a place that like I jived with, mm-hmm. you know, like my energy, had I had a very special energy here and so when it was time to go to college I I I had obviously I didn't have very good grades I was never the best student I was good at the things that I was passionate about but if I wasn't into it I probably was giving it my C effort yeah you know so I uh I I ended up being like I went to a really competitive private school where most kids ended up going to, you know, Ivy League schools or like top liberal arts colleges in, in upstate New York. And when it came time to apply to college, my college advisor said, you know, where do you want to go to school? I was like, your job is to get me to go to University of Miami. <laughs> He's like, excuse me, I've never heard someone so convicted that they knew that they want with this conviction day one. This is like sophomore year. I was like, yeah, I know that my parents are going to do everything they can to not let me go there <laughs> as they should have. <laughs> <laughs> but your job as my college advisor is to convince them that it's the right place and the right, the right school. And I ended up doing <laughs> against my parents' wishes. I hustled as hard as I could. I, I, I ended up. So you, you formed this long con with your uh, yeah. guidance counselor. Long con. <laughs> the long con. 
And, uh, and I ended up, you know, I, I, I understood from my mom and my grandmother who were, who were like amazing women, uh, definitely women that always got what they wanted and they did it, you know, they did it like getting their hands dirty. They were always, no matter, they weren't going to take no for an answer. And they taught me that if you try hard enough and you push all the right buttons and you're just persistent and you don't give up, you know, you get what you want most of the time. And so for me, I started leaning into, you know, every single little person that I knew, you know, who do I know that's from Miami? Do I have any friends whose parents are from Miami? Oh, this person's parents are from Miami. Do they know anybody at University of Miami? Is there any way that I could get you an interview? You didn't go to the University of Miami. I though. did. I thought I you did. went to Florida. No, I, I did. I did. I, afterwards. But okay. I, I went to University of Miami. And, and so I, I ended up somehow getting an interview with the admissions director, like junior year or like one of the admissions people at University of Miami that I had finagled through a friend's yeah. grandma, like, <laughs> like real wheeler what was your and What stuff. was your major going to be? Uh, it was going to be music business okay. and international relations, which um, I really was just looking for a reason to come down here. Yeah. Music business was always my backup. If, if restaurants didn't work out, I mm-hmm. had a couple cool internships in, in high school where I worked for a couple people in the music industry and i I liked it but like i didn't see like the path to monetization i was never like so you thought restaurants was gonna be the better path i just never (laughs) i never had that like uh, musical touch you know i I couldn't make music you know i could make food even though albeit not as well as i can make it today yeah i just was like less intimidated by the stovetop than by like a drum set yeah you know um and i ended up nailing the interview charm the socks off the interview lady and i think i told her right away i was like you know i'll I'll apply early decision you know like i won't even apply to any other schools just like what do i got to do and i'm like listen you did it whatever you did like just wait and we'll let you know and so i I applied early and then like i was like the first kid in my high school to know where he was going to college i was like decked out and you know you miami gear throwing the u up like (laughs) november of 2000 you know 2007 let's go canes at the time you know miami was riding also like I was a big sports fan. Still mm-hmm. am a big sports fan. Miami rode that amazing wave. 2009, 2010? Well, they were, uh, they, the, the wave was like really early 2000s. 01, yeah. 02, 04. Like the, the, but, but in 2008, 2007, when I was applying, all the best guys in the NFL Who were was all... that running back that broke Willis McGahee. McGahee. That oh dude was... God, yeah. Like untouchable, untouchable. Clint Portis, Frank Gore. I, I, mean, I was like, watching that game, just thinking to myself, this guy is going to be the next Deion Sanders. Yeah, that's what he looked like. Yeah, and like I was watching that game thinking like oh, I'm going I'm so excited to see this guy's professional career. Need that one injury, dude. I'm, I know this isn't a sports podcast, no, but, but where his leg like snapped. burns 90 degrees in the wrong direction. Yeah, was, I was just like, "Oh." Sorry. It was very traumatic for yeah. him. But Were you there during that? I was not. I was not. I I unfortunately only made it once we once the program went downhill in 2008, the year that I went was the first year that we moved from the Orange Bowl to uh Sun Life, or I don't even know what uh, they call that shithole anymore. But uh, the Dolphin Stadium, yeah, I was I ruined <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, I I I knew that like Miami was the spot, and I applied. I got in, and when I got here, I instantaneously realized I made the right decision to move to Miami. Uh, I, my parents, I think, my parents ended up succumbing to me going, and then I, I, they they saw how passionate I was and how jazzed up I was that it was kind of hard to not share it with me. My first year of college, I I really I started so I started promoting like in college nightclubs and parties and throwing parties and I was just kind of like that kid from New York City who people would people were like following where I would go you know if I, tonight we're going here oh Dave's going there oh, 
we're going there. Today, yeah, you like know? you're plugged into the scene. I was plugged into the scene, and and I had like you know a lot of. I, I was one of the only kids from New York City. Like I had yeah. a hand handful of other kids. My my roommate, who was my best friend, who I dragged along with me to University of Miami. Uh, but it was just really the two of us. And then we made a really nice group. We met a really nice group of international people, which was something that, that was super important to me. And that's why I was a little bit scared to like go to, you know, in Indiana or, you know, uh, you know, Davidson College. So like, who am I going to meet there? Like, yeah, are especially these people, coming from Manhattan. Yeah, coming yeah. from Manhattan. I was like, I, I didn't want to be too culture shocked in that sense. And like some of the best times I've ever had in my life are at Big Ten universities mm-hmm. visiting my boys. Like, yeah. I had a huge dream to go to michigan when i was a kid like that was like where like my best friend's big brother went and that's like where i always wanted to go my grades were no no i wasn't a wolverine how long did you last at miami before i lasted two and a half years two and a half years why did you make the switch so i actually made the switch because danielle okay back to danielle uh after i had worked for him freshman year in college and the second year sophomore year uh i worked for jean georges who's an also also a legend yeah i've heard of him yeah, he's a he's a legend. Um, I don't have as much of a personal relationship with him. He definitely, he's definitely like someone who I respect greatly, and and I'm sure he would remember me. But I don't have that kind of personal relationship with him. But uh, I worked for him, and then like after my sophomore year, and it, I was like, you know, my grades were fine, but I just felt like I was just kind of like missing out. So you're working in restaurants while going to in the summers. Okay, in the summers. Got it. Yeah. Um, my that, fresh three okay. months. John George is in New York, right? Yeah. So I worked at one of his hotels called the Mark Hotel that yeah. he that he operates out of. Um, also, like a three month stodge situation, unpaid, just like do all the worst tasks, which is how you should learn, by the way, and you should do it for free, especially if you're 18 or 19 years old. I've had to pay so many people. It's not free. You're getting you're getting a wealth of knowledge and information. If you're there for the right reasons and if you're paying attention, you know you can learn so much. So much. It's money can't even like you said, money can't buy what I learned. Yeah. So um, that summer, I, I kind of like I knew that like I was running my course at at the U and that that you know the international studies and music business was not where I was going and I had learned about FIU which is the number two restaurant school, hospitality school in the country after Cornell. And considering there was no way I was leaving Miami for beautiful, sunny Ithaca, uh, I, I, I did a long, deep dive into FIU. And, and FIU here is, is incredibly active in the restaurant scene. Yeah. You know, they sponsor the South Beach Food and Wine Festival. Think about where it's located. Like yeah, hospitality I mean, like, center of like one of the most popular hospitality wor- exactly. like hospitality world. Hospitality centers of the country, of yeah. the world. And uh, they had they they have an amazing backing of the Chaplin family, who are the family that owns Southern Wine and Spirits. And Southern Wine and Spirits, obviously, is biggest liquor and alcohol distributor in the United States. And this is Miami's like their home base. Yeah. Uh, and I I kind of got involved, and I I, did, I went to like a South Beach Food and Wine Festival, and I saw all these kids in FIU jackets. This is like back in two thousand nine. I was like, whoa, like, what's going on here? Like they're yeah. working the festival. Yeah. This this looks really cool. And I and I called Danielle and I was like, Danielle, like you know, my parents are going to kill me, but like I don't want to go to University of Miami. I want to go to FIU. And he, he's like, he's like, David, meet me at the DBGBs in two hours with your parents. I said, oh, okay. I was like, Mom, Dad, Danielle said we got to meet him right now. And they were like, Why? And they're like, Oh, you know, he wants to talk to you. And like I had like kind of like bridged the subject of going to FIU. And and for my parents, like if you if you're not from here you probably don't know FIU, you know, like already, like I said, like Miami at the time had started to make that like breakthrough as being like a top 
you know, top 50 university, but like historically not the best, you know, didn't have the best reputation. It's obvious. It's skyrocketed now. Honestly, like is FIU in Miami? It's not Miami. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. It is. Yeah. There's one in South, uh, Kendall and one in North Miami. Yeah. Jacksonville. No, 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 no. North Miami. Oh, North Miami. Yeah. There's there's Orlando's UCF, University of Central Florida. And then you have FAU, which is Florida Atlantic. That's in Boca. That's where my fiance went. But no, I, uh, FIU. So I, FIU is like I said it's not other than this program it's not the nothing to write home about you know like but it most has people, an amazing uh, culinary or is it hotel best. management hotel or, restaurant management yeah. whatever you want to call it it's is number. there a culinary too there is but it's not really like uh, the culinary it's not like a culinary school it's culinary yeah. is involved we have an unbelievable facility like multi-million dollar restaurant that they've built with like a full commercial kitchen where like when you go to the school there you, know, you have like a restaurant class, like a cooking class where like you're like cooking food and it, it's just in the restaurant, like using industrial equipment, like with like real teachers and people, both chefs and restaurateurs as the professors. Like one of my professors one year for my restaurant development class is like one of the original founders of Burger King. Wow. Guy's like 92 years old That's now. Cool. And he was like a founder of Burger King in the 50s or whenever that was, 55, 60, I don't know, some crazy. But um, it was kind of a bit of a bit of a stretch to tell my parents like, hey guys, like, Given up University of Miami and going to FIU, Danielle told them immediately, like, don't even think twice. I hire a lot of kids from that school to work at my events and to work at my restaurants. Told them same thing that we just said. You know, Miami is a, re- is a restaurant capital, and, and clearly your son has what it takes to be in this business. Like, he made it through three months working for me and three months working for Danielle. Like, like support him in that endeavor. I was curious about that three months. I want to move the conversation forward, but I, like, I, I can only imagine what it'd be like with no experience going to work at those restaurants with people with that level of Get roasted every day. Oh bro. my God, man. You must have been like put through the ringer. The ringer. It was so easy to pick <laughs> on me, but also like I, I have one of the things that I think had like has made me able to survive this industry is just that, that I am able to get along with people of all walks of life, no matter where you come from, how old you are, you know, your socioeconomic background, you know, I've, I've always had this like very gregarious personality and I was always taught by my mom and my grandma that, you know, you just got to treat everybody yeah. the same. I think people at first thought people are probably thinking, wow, like that's of course, I mean, it's not fair that you're the, the son of the, or the, the friend of the daughter's like the, the, the boss's daughter, you know, yeah, for but at sure. the same time, you now you have to overcome people thinking that this is nepotism, 100%. right? Which makes it even harder because you can still do the job, but now people are thinking that like you don't deserve to be here. A hundred percent. And uh, what I've noticed with people who have been in those situations is like the only way to shut people up is to just do a great job. Mm. You know, like if if you're doing a better job than the guy next to you, then who cares how you yeah. got the job? Yeah. You're doing a better job now, you yeah. know, and then you're going to climb up the ranks. So you go to uh, FIU. Go to FIU, and, yeah. And you, you finished there. Did you do two years or three years? I did two years. Two years. So I, I got my, or maybe two and a half. Oh. I think I took a victory lap. Yeah. yeah. Credits transfer situation. <clears throat> and that was like really restaurant uh, business focused. You know, like mostly, you know, we had restaurant finance classes, restaurant marketing classes, accounting. Uh, you know, we even had like some sort of like digital classes to teach us about how to use these different POS systems. And, and, and then we had like a couple a couple really cool like restaurant development classes that were literally like my project was do a feasibility report for a concept that you create that's like 300 pages pro forma pro forma but like but like the whole thing you have the business basically running like three years income statement like 
at thinking back at the time, like I can't even believe that that we had that opportunity to do that. And it, and I and I you got me wanting to go to FIU, man. Yeah, I might, no, I might sign a, up for a, next semester. It's an unbelievable program, and I highly recommend anybody who you ever talk to who's looking to maybe pursue restaurant hospitality in their you know in their young years. By the way, masters or undergrad, it's definitely one of the coolest programs. Yeah, yeah. And, and I got so, that going underneath. I mean, me. if you can if you can sum up one or two major lessons yeah. early in your career, yeah. The big lessons. What What are those big lessons? The things that we can take away. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I think it's like you know, following your passions, being not giving up on them, knowing what you want. If you know what you want, you know, a lot of people don't have the benefit of knowing what they want, and I think it's a little bit harder because if you're just out there trying to figure it out, waiting for you know, the world to kind of like throw you a signal, you know, that signal might never come. Yeah. So when when you, I hate to go back back on the timeline but when you're at the university of miami you're thinking music um the what was it a concert what was the, the exact title? international studies and music business music business um at what point did you like what clicked inside of you to say no food and beverage i think it was where sitting, was this, yeah we're sitting in like shift? a classroom like sitting in like an italian class freshman year of college and i was just like i walked in i sat there i'm like the hell am i doing here like, what is this like one basic year of italian gonna yeah. do for my life right not gonna do anything and then next class international relations sitting there listening to some professor spiel on about something that i couldn't even listen to it was zoning off dozing off i was like this is just i'm wasting a my time yeah. and b my parents money yeah you know like this is this is ridiculous yeah like, this college american college system is just like it just kind of like fosters this indecisiveness that so many people you know go through and it's just like inability to find a passion and it's just like we're like being like built to have these like you know liberal arts degrees that teach you a little bit about everything but you know that's yeah. not going to really get you anywhere you know unless you're writing your resume or you know you're writing your scholar you know you're writing your your cv to, to to guide you like sure you went to a great university and you could put on your on your resume that you graduated with a bachelor's in this or that like that that can that only helps until it actually yeah. is time to perform meanwhile you're building a restaurant resume but before the time you even graduate college that's better than most other people's resumes by being able to work at dynex group and being able to work with john george yeah like yeah that was a big <laughs> like big having those up. two on your resume before up. even graduating culinary school or yeah. uh, not culinary school but hospitality management uh huge, huge you know yeah. like such a, such an advantage not to, just to have these people in your network is such a huge advantage um yeah it makes sense to, to go like the universe is like telling you like no go this way yeah right? so 2013 uh, i'm just gonna go in order now yeah. you're at otc restaurant yeah you're there for five months that was like my first real job okay and then from there you go to gg you're for there four months yeah 2013 yeah. 2014 you're for another four months you're a line cook with the restaurant uh, hoffman so yeah so restaurant. i was i was actually not that that was a miss guy that was mis uh represented restaurant hoffman is a is an unbelievable restaurant yeah. and hospitality program in barcelona got it which is a very unique it's a very unique school something that that i take a lot of pride having attended i did like a four-month stage program in the school where they they have a michelin starred restaurant that they basically use the kids from the school to service that's so, cool that's how it should be man it should be but it's, i it's, think it's, like this apprenticeship model i think is a long like out it's like it's 
it, it's so good, the, the apprenticeship model. I think we could be better about that in, the, in this country. Not sending kids to university at the age of practical, 18 you know, it's like where practical. they're spending their parents' money for the first two years, not having a fucking clue what they want to do with their life. Correct. Go work. Go work. Go work and figure out if you like it. Yeah. And then spend the money to get the degrees. hundred percent. I couldn't agree yeah. with you more. Yeah. And so Restaurant Hoffman was, uh, was the restaurant attached to the cooking school or to the well, it's a restaurant school, restaurant hospitality school. And uh, if, I, if you were going there for like your full degree, it's a two-year program where basically like your first semester of your first year, you just spend like, the, you're just doing all classwork. Yeah. Like absorbing all the textbooks, learning all the basics. Second semester for people who go there for the full two-year program, you spend your mornings at the restaurant and your afternoons in class. And then your second year, it's the, the, the opposite. So you're doing prep. You're doing Getting prep, the, but you're also doing lunch service, got it. which is which is cool, but it's obviously not as intense as dinner service. Yeah, you know, dinner service, tasting menu, you know, it's much more elaborate, much more. Probably not as busy during lunch too. Not as it's still busy, but still not, busy, but not as busy. And then dinner, you know, three like hours. sophomore year, you know, or sorry, so your second year, sophomore, year, your second year, people are doing, and, and you're, you're you're doing, you're really doing pretty much all restaurant work, and you're learning fine dining. I, I don't know many places where that teach fine dining. You know, fine dining it really gets taught in the restaurant for the most part. There's not, you know, sure CIA. You know, you have to go get jobs and and and, and stage at other restaurants. But this is like the restaurant in the school with the professors. Like the professors or the or the chefs, yeah. you know, whatever you want to call them, are like two, three star Michelin former sous chefs or guys who are just taking a break from working in the restaurant for too long and now they wanted to do this. Or, and, a and more stability, like, security. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Spain in that time, 2010, 2012, like Spain really was like taking off. It was like the El Bui, riding the El Bui vibe when El Bui was closing and like all of the El Bui guys were kind of going around the country and opening amazing restaurants, Barcelona, Madrid, the Basque country. And, uh, and it was just like hot. Spain was where you wanted to really be. The culinary world was there. And Barcelona was like, was on fire. My Spain geograph or geology is horrible. Where is that? Barcelona. Is that, where is that? It's on basically on the, uh, east, northeast part of the country. It's next to, well, Catalonia is, is basically borders France. So it's, it's, you basically have like an hour and a half drive from the north, from the northern tip of Spain to get to Barcelona and Barcelona was, was at the time, like I said, it was just like super hot. And I, and I spent four months. They, they also like had this like stage program where like, if you didn't, if, cause like I already was learning all this stuff in hospitality school and I had basically gotten my degree. So there was no point for me to like go to school yeah. again, you know, yeah. it was just like, but it was a, it was a way to like go into the kitchen and like learn technique and get your ass kicked and be amongst kids your age. You what know? was the biggest lesson you learned here? Oh man, my biggest lesson I learned there. It was it was really just like the camaraderie was something that like I really enjoyed there. I met these other young passionate people who like shared this desire to be great and who who just like woke up every single day and you know the days were just long. Like you were like these kids were like my days were doubled up at the restaurant, but these kids were like going to class and then coming to the kitchen or going to the kitchen and then going to class. I was like, wow, like these, these kids are, I was standing on my feet for like 16 hours a day. I had never been so sore in my whole life. Like I was wearing, I was like just discovered Crocs. And I remember <laughs> I was like, holy shit, like this is, 
This is crazy. I think the biggest lesson I learned, honestly, it sounds silly, but don't carry stock pots downstairs. I watched a guy like spill a giant stock pot all over himself, get like third degree burns oh. trying to go down the staircase. And I was like, I'm never doing that. Yeah, that's, that's um, sketchy. It's scary. But, so you were there for four months. Yeah, for four months. And then, and then when I was doing that, I was just, I was super hyped about cooking. And I was, you know, at that point, it was like, all right, how do we further the chef? side of things because I had obviously learned the business side in school and I had served and I had kind of helped manage my buddy's restaurant OTC that you were talking about um, and like I felt I felt like I had a grasp on that side of things but I felt like there was just still a lot to learn on the kitchen side and uh, and I and I had always I had never done like a semester abroad during college like a lot of people and you know go study abroad like Barcelona was like my my first like abroad yeah I'd say this, like if you're young, if you're like under the age of 24, you're single, you don't have a rent or a mortgage or a car payment, like don't get bogged down with that stuff. Go travel and work because if you can, if if you can carry yourself in a kitchen, you have a ticket, a world-class ticket around the world. You can find work. Oh yeah. And you'll, you'll get experience. Oh yeah. I'll take that over a four year degree any day. I agree. Yeah, for sure. It helps to have them both by the way. And that perspective is huge too. Um, But so so I kind of was, I remember like one day I was filleting my first fish. I had never really like broken down. I had done like little small fish, but I had never like broken down like a big fish. Yeah. And, and the teacher, like I had been watching him break it down for like a week and like watching all the other kids break it down. And like, I guess like I wasn't at that level yet, you know, like you had to like get to that level. And I I told the guy, I'm like, like chef, like, let me get this one. Let me, let me give it a shot, you know? And, and I went at it and I was just cutting through the flesh of the skin and learning how to break this guy down. And I was like, this is so therapeutic. It's the most it's like the most relaxing yet engaging and exciting thing that I had ever done. It was like finding a way to turn this beautiful animal into a piece of food that you would eat. And I had, uh, I I had decided at that time that I wanted to learn more about breaking down fish and there was no other place but Japan to learn more about breaking down fish because there's nowhere in the world that honors fish the way that Japan does. And the, uh, the actual art of sushi and the art of breaking down fish was something that I, that I was just like really falling in love with. So I, I found this program in Tokyo called Tokyo Sushi Academy. And I'm guessing that was the summer of 2014. Yeah. Because you, it looks like your time in Paris, or not Paris, Barcelona, uh, Barcelona um, came to an end 2014, June. Yeah. And then you didn't start opening Fuchs until 2014, September, which leaves a four-month gap, yeah. or at least a three-month gap. So June, July, August, September, yeah. you're oh, in yeah. Japan. That was basically the whole summer, yeah. Wow. And I was uh, I signed up for this program. It was in Shinjuku, which is like the, the craziest, maddest part of Tokyo where there's all the giant towers yeah. and people look like ants, million people <laughs> on the street, you know, like that like real, real Japan experience. Yeah. And it was like every morning starts at 8 a.m. until 6 p.m., just super intensive, it's obviously elective, you know, people are there electively, yeah. but they don't, you know, Japanese people like they're, they're, they're like, they're, they're one gear. Yeah. You know, and that's go. Yeah. There's no, there's no like taking it easy in Japan. Like if you're not trying to be great there, like don't waste your time. It's, like it's Asia's New York. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just insane. Yeah. Like, and, and it was a, it showed me, 
it taught me so much about like being great also there and just that like it didn't and it's this this concept of like it doesn't matter what it is that you're trying to be great at but just be great at it don't 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 let yourself don't suffice yourself with just like getting by yeah. you know if you're if, if you know if that's what i love about japan is it has this like artisan culture you know everybody ties and everybody's trying everybody is constantly trying to get better you know even doesn't matter if you make the if you make what's considered the best piece of sushi like you know so many people try every day the next day you got to keep getting better yeah. you got to make a better piece of do sushi. it more efficiently do it more efficiently yeah. and and that was i really resonated that really resonated with me and uh and my brother came out to meet me towards the end of my trip there and we spent like a couple weeks just like going around trying all these different kinds of foods that we had never really had and and trying to get reservations at all these restaurants and, and we were able to get a reservation at like one of the places that we wanted to go because Japan has this insane policy for people to, to dine at restaurants and make it like virtually impossible if you're what they call gaijin which is which is a basically not Japanese person yeah. and uh at the time, if you were lucky, a hotel concierge could maybe get you a table, you know, at some of the places. But again, it was like m- very like membership style in, in Tokyo. And I was able to get a reservation at one of them. Brother and I went, got our minds blown by like one of the top sushi restaurants in Japan. And we walked out of there, stumbled out maybe, but walked or stumbled. I don't remember. But we made it out of there and we were like we got to make this thing happen yeah. in America. Like we yeah. got to bring this experience to the United States, to New York city because no one is doing it. And there's, you know, sure there's sushi in New York city, but like there's no one doing this. So your first restaurant was Fuchs. It right? was not a, ja- is, that it was, was not a Japanese, Japanese restaurant, yeah. but this was my whole thing so started. Your vision for Fuchs or for the Japanese restaurant happened uh, first. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I think now is a great time to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be back to really start oh, yeah. to dive Always into the, the nitty gritty nitty gritty of like how you built your restaurants yeah. out and like what you've learned along the way and how you've continued to evolve and get bigger, yeah. better, i.e. Kaizen. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash R S. 
RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. All right, we are back. And uh, we just had some amazing pizza. I don't know. I'm sure there's going to be B-roll. Maybe we'll roll it right now. Um, what? Tell us about that pizza real quick before we dive into it. Yeah, I mean, these are the, these are the uh, killers. These are what we do, I think, probably, I think, the best I've ever had. Oh, my God. It's so good. I think it's the best square that exists. Honestly, I can say that's the best square pizza I've ever had. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I, I, we've put in so much time and effort into this. And like Eric was just saying, the amount of hard work that goes into making these pies, like this. Look at that crust. Yeah. I mean, like this is, this is just, this is a pizza masterpiece. Like I think, I truly think like anybody can make a round pie. Yeah. Like a dummy. You could teach a dummy to make a round pie. And the dough process is a lot simpler. It's quicker. It's, you know, it's the rolling of the dough ball is probably what like is the hardest thing to do when you're making rounds. But this is just like love and attention. You cannot forget about it. You got to give it a stretch and fold like every 20, every 20 minutes. It's like just long enough that like you can't forget about it. How many folds does it get? Eric, how many folds? Six folds? What, every half hour? I'm giving away your secrets now. Six folds on the Sicilian? Six folds in the, what, the first three hours, two hours? Damn. The first three hours, yeah. Well, it's, it's a long I'm no pizza master, but I do, I, I do, I do like to dabble in the world of pizza. It's a lot of folks. Ken Forkish. Thank you. For- he does three. I did. I used to do more. Maybe that's oh, really? why it's better now. <laughs> he makes it better than I could yeah. ever make it. Thank you. Eric. Beautiful. Awesome. It was so good. All right, man. 2014. Yeah. Back to Japan. What are you? 23 years old. 24, 24 years old. Yeah. At, at this point in your in your story. 24. Yeah. This is going back nine years ago. Yeah. You're a young dude. I'm a young dude. Yeah. Feels like I've done so much, but you open your first restaurant when you're 24 years old. 25. 25. Yeah. So like I got, I got back from Japan with this idea that like one day I'm gonna open a sushi restaurant, and um, I started kind of like looking for. I came back to Miami, and I actually, I actually ended up going back to work for my buddy at OTC and during that time he was also a young hospital young hospitality entrepreneur Michael Sullivan now he's my one of my best friends my mentor he's my exclusive restaurant broker here in Miami he, he finds me all my deals he, he graduated from the restaurants into restaurant real estate that's a, a common transition listen it's a big the part be- of the industry he's the best yeah. I got nothing but the best things to say about this guy and restaurant he's, real estate is a whole different game it's there's a whole different so many game. variables but it's one of those other things where it's like, if you know, if you could look at it from the operator standpoint, it changes, you know, it's, it's a very helpful bird's eye view of being able to come with that operator mindset when you're like looking at real estate, you know, it's not just some broker shoving a place down your throat. You know, it's a guy who understands like, wait, is this place going to be able to make money? Is this, you know, is this percentage of the sales that you're going to pay to the landlord make sense? You know, does this trade area make sense for your concept? There's just so much that goes into restaurant real estate, you know, like good friend to have. Yeah. The best, <laughs> the best. And he, he was, um, also really young. Like I think he opened OTC when he was like 24, 25. And, um, also like a similar situation as me, like he had an idea, he saw that there was exciting stuff happening uh, at the time in like the kind of like gastro pub world and the craft beer world, which like back in like 2010 when it opened or 2011, there like was not that much of that, especially not here in Miami, you know, like people, people here, like they're, they're, the craft scene was really just, just starting. And he, he kind of, uh, he took me under his wing 
and for those four months, you know, I was it was like just like my time to figure out what it was that I was going to do, and and there was a restaurant that I like to go to uh, for lunch all the time, where this amazing woman was making delicious food, and one day her name was Nicole Botano. She's like my sister now. Uh, she one day, you know, I went in there and I was like, "What do you think about maybe leaving this place one day?" And she's like, "Yeah, well, you know, I want to move to California. I want to go back to San Francisco. That's like where I grew up, and I want to open a restaurant there." I was like, "What, what if we Florida? open a yeah. restaurant here?" Yeah. Or was this in New York now? Right? No, this is Miami. Or Miami. That's and um, and she, you know, she. I guess she saw that like I was just going there all the time, and I was just like loyal to her food. And she saw that I really respected her food, and that I always talked to her about it, and I always tried to ask her questions. That was something that I think also like helped me so much in life, is to not be scared to ask questions. Like, don't be that it's guy. Like it sounds silly. Like <laughs> sounds silly, but like don't be that guy. You know, like ask. Yeah, it can't hurt to ask. What some guy tells you you're an idiot for asking a question. Great, on to the next guy. Right. You know, like I'm not. Yeah. Like, you're not going to get the answer if you don't ask. Yeah. So, you know, I would always ask restaurant operators and chefs and, and some people are more parting with their information than others, as I'm sure you realize. It's an old, the older generation. And I think it was a, it's just generally speaking, I think knowledge is power, but in, in an age where people can get the information, you know, the more, the more generous you are with knowledge, I think it comes back around. I do a hundred percent agree with yeah. you on that. Um, I think that those, I was afraid to start this podcast cause I was like, I'm gonna walk, go around the restaurant industry asking the most successful people for their secrets. Good I luck, mean, buddy. Good luck, but I mean, you but the most successful well restaurateurs are successful because they're super liberal with their knowledge and yeah. helping people, and that's why yeah. they are where they are. Yeah, I mean, look, Danny gave us the yeah. Bible, you know, exactly. And yeah. Now we're all here, exactly. So, so, um, so this woman, so this, so this woman, Nicole, she, you know, I give her a lot of credit for having faith in me at the time and saying, you know, going leaving her cushy job that she had working for one of Miami's top chefs to go open a restaurant with somebody who had never done it before. And uh, we spent like three months conceptualizing what at the time was Fuchs, basically going to the cities in America that we felt were the like doing things the way that we wanted to do them. So we spent like a week in LA. We spent like a few days in San Fran where she was from. We went to Portland. We went to Seattle. Like we, we, we did like a West Coast run. And then we did New York City. And uh, Sounds horrible amazing best time of my life i was really like that was really probably the most exciting nice. moment ever yeah. when like i knew that i had the pieces yeah you know and like i was putting them together and it was just like this woman and i were vibing and we're having so much fun and just going around eating you know smoking weed having yeah. fun getting inspired Not by in you know by <laughs> by cool places around the country and and we just like we just had a vibe and we knew that when it came time, when the right space found us, that we would just jump in there and and do great. And and we we went through you know a handful of uh, spaces that didn't work out. Thank God. When you say it didn't work out, like you started in no left? no just like 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 diving into like you know like the journey of the journey will this of, work out? Yeah, will this work out? You know, you obviously when you get a real estate when piece get a piece of real estate, you dive in, you go do the analytics, you bring the kitchen designers, you bring your subs. You know, does this place make sense? And and you know, we had like a handful of places that we like seriously Let's looked. Slow into. down around here. This is the kind of stuff I really like to get. Yeah, the stuff you're giving us now is the stuff that's going to really yeah. help people. Yeah. Um, what are the things that are like? What are what's your filter? What are what, like what's what's the filter Back that you're putting then, in these locations? It was. Uh, where is going to be the least risk and the lowest rent 
and the cheapest guarantee, personal guarantee, security deposit situation that you could ever have because I didn't want to take on uh, a project that like was going to either A, you know, bury me from the start or B, just be too risky. And like I, I knew I wanted something that like I, I could manage it and I could I could like work the floor and see the whole restaurant from like one place. Like I didn't want to have to be I didn't want something that was going to feel too big and impersonal and that I was going to start relying on others. Like I wanted to really just rely on my eyes and my ability to like see and touch everything and um and at the time the big thing that we wanted to do we, we really wanted to get like a wood oven in the restaurant we were we were really head bent on doing like a wood oven restaurant and we had found like an old pizza shop that might have been a good spot and then i had my kitchen designer god rest his soul michael clements who came in there uh and was like david get the fuck out of here why? What was the reason? Like, he's like, you don't want to work in this place. He has this like really deep, like raspy <laughs> voice, and he's like one of those like he tells it to you really how it is. You know, yeah. he, he was like coming out. We, me and Nicole, we were like so excited. This place had a cool thing in the back. It felt small, and it was just like exactly You're what we falling wanted. In love. Yeah, we were falling in love, and he was like, "Get the fuck out of here." <laughs> he's like, "You'll thank me later." Yeah, he's like, "You want to break down this window to put the oven in there?" I was like, "No." He's like don't open this restaurant in here. <laughs> well, that's what experience gets you. It's like when you, when you're like young and doughy eyed, you're just like, Oh wow. Like you yeah. like start visually, but there's like, there's so many other, by variables. the way, that space has changed hands six times. Wow. Thank God. So was his practice, was his reason like you don't want to do the, the, the amount of work that it's going to yeah. take to get to yeah, where you are. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was like one of the big ones. He was like, like, you know, like don't waste your time here. Like you're going to, like you're taking over. Like that's one of the things that happens. And I, and I, and I've been, I've gotten clipped by it since then is just this idea that you know like something has like old charm to it and that you know this old you know the second generation space is like has so much potential like you really got to be careful when you sign a new lease you know you, you, you can just because something was a restaurant one day doesn't mean that it's like ready to be turned into a restaurant tomorrow yeah. you know like there's a reason why that place closed right. most often right. you know like either the lease wasn't good the space didn't wasn't no conducive you know no parking <laughs> yeah. like occasionally it actually happens that it's the operator who sucked but m- most often more often than not like it's really just like it's a, one of the a thousand variables that will yeah, get past you. yeah yeah and and, and or that. multiple variables compounding to correct yeah. correct and so i ended up i was friendly again because i was not afraid to ask questions i was i became friendly with the woman who owned the restaurant that we're sitting in right now uh, which was called Nemesis Urban Bistro at the time. And she had actually been on like Top Chef lost on the first episode, but like she was on it, you yeah. know, and like she had a restaurant in Miami. And at the time, like being on Top Chef was like a huge deal. Yeah. You know, like if you were, if you made it on one episode of Top Chef, like there was only a handful of like foodie type places in Miami. And this was like the foodie place. It was like, you know, 15, 20 seats, one woman and one guy in the back and her daughter in the front, just like sitting there on like her computer, like, 10 years old like learning i don't know preschool like or <laughs> kindergarten whatever in the in the school like homeschooling, homeschool, literally homeschooling <laughs> yeah. her in the restaurant it was the most mom and pop shop yeah. you would ever come across and it was just outside here on the street and across the street it was just like landmines of homeless people mm. like you just had to like climb over homeless people to like make it into the door of the restaurant but like when you made it in here you had this like super charming like new york city Brooklyn-y industrial feeling and this woman was pumping out super high quality food like at the time probably some of the best food in Miami 
with just like attention to detail and just doing things the way that I like to do it. And so it used to be like a place that I would come on a date, you know, to, you know, you want to be cool. You want to take someone to somewhere that they maybe didn't know about. Every time I was here. Where they know you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time I would be here, I'd sit at the counter and I'd talk to her. Yeah. You know, and I'd ask her a bunch of questions. And I was just so, I thought what it was so cool. What kind of questions cool. were you asking her? You know, just about, you know, recipes, food costing, you know, how do you hire? How, how, who are you buying this from? You know, what's the technique here? Just like anything that comes to my mind that I wanted to understand, you know, I, I, I was not, I wouldn't hesitate. And it was not always questions, also just like conversations, you know, like I built a rapport with this person. So, you know, when it came time, her, I didn't even approach her. She approached me because I told her I, I was trying to open a restaurant and that, that I was super passionate about it. And she was kind of on the way out. She was like, listen, like, I'm done with Miami. I need to go on to new, you know, greener pastures. Like, my daughter, it's like, this isn't like a healthy lifestyle for us anymore. Like, would you be interested in taking over my restaurant? Because she's, she's like, you know, you're the one who comes here the most, always yeah. asking me all these questions. Like, you're telling me you're doing this. Like, that is a huge opportunity is to be someone's exit strategy. Yeah. So I was her Just exit. go talk to people. Yeah. That's literally all you get to know every restaurant in your neighborhood, in your city, in your region, promise you, I promise you, there's at least one person looking to get the fuck out of that place. Yeah, fact. And, and they will cut you a deal. And turnkey, is that what this, was it? That this, was what it was. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was like, it was a very specific number. It was like $100,017. Everything. Everything. It was like 117000 Tables, chairs, plates kitchen equipment oven oven was it the same oven that's in there now no. i was gonna say no i still have old faithful though okay <laughs> it was an old blodget from like the fucking 80s um but i took over the whole place 2014 2014 it was 117 thousand dollars came with you right nicole came with me yeah and um and you know we probably put like another 100 grand into it after like i paid 117 for the keys probably paid like another 100 uh to put into the place to design it and decorate it and and then we were like off to the races. So two fifty. Yeah, about two fifty. That's in Miami. Yeah, I mean at the time. And <laughs> you want to know the best <laughs> part about it? You, you, know ago, pay, you want to know what I was paying in rent? What's that? Twenty seven hundred dollars a month. Wow, yeah. dude. So that was like the security deposit was like three months. I'm like, sure, like seven grand. Like, where are you going to find a security deposit that like that? Like, whereas yeah. the guarantee was like six months. Like, if I burn if this place, if I lose this place, like. I lose, you know, like six months at yeah. 2,500 bucks, you know, like 15 grand, which is like obviously a lot of money, but like to open a restaurant, like it's not a lot of money. No. You know, it's, it's Do you mind me asking like, where did you get the money? Yeah. Like family, 20, friends and family. I was going to say 24 years old. Friends you have some fam. good, you know, uh, experience. You have a degree. You worked at great restaurants. People are willing to throw money at that. Very, like, very small amount. Fools, friends, friends and, and family. family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad was a big, big, big reason for it in the beginning. He's, he's always been just like. He's always been the one to just like also push us, you know, to just yeah. be like, hey, like, don't be scared. Like, yeah. You know, um, he was an entrepreneur himself. I was curious because it sounds like, you know, growing up in Manhattan, uh, being able to connect, pretty great connections. I know you yeah. you had Daniel, you're friends with his daughter, yeah. uh, which also helps. But there seems to be like this uh, avoidance of privilege where people, when people are privileged, they're afraid to talk about their privilege and they're almost embarrassed to have it. Yeah, I, I try to not let that affect me. I, I mean, I know so many people who like get crippled by that, but but at the same time, like privilege isn't a bad thing. For some reason, it, it has such listen, a negative air around it. 
the way that I see it, I work just as hard as anybody else. And my dad worked just as hard as anybody else before him. And his dad was a minor before him. You know, it's like, you're going to, the guy lived the American dream. He came to America with, you know, not much in his pocket and became successful and was able to give his family opportunity. And then I took it and ran with it. You know, like so many people that I grew up with are not doing half the shit that I'm doing. That's the point that I'm, that's the point where I was going with this is, privilege is a it's a good thing and you shouldn't be judged on we, we all get to choose what we do with our privilege correct and if you choose to do amazing things with that privilege i mean i think that just there's different things you could do with your privilege 100%. you could go sit on a beach and get fucked up every day with privilege For right sure. if that's what you want to do or you could take that privilege and go do some shit and and, sure. and be grateful for it and i think you know we should be judged what we do with our privilege. I think so. And I you're doing so. great things with it, you know? I, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people, you know, like I haven't been like shy to share my story. You yeah. know, like a lot of people might, you know, this happens to me all the time. You know, I happened to me on the phone the other day with a guy who I'm doing a real estate deal with who was like pitching himself as this like, oh, no, no, like, you know, like this just like grassroots kid from Tennessee, blah, 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 worked his way up the ladder, blah, blah, blah turned out the guy's family's a billionaire and the guy got the job because of nepotism but the guy is a fucking killer mm-hmm. and he the, the reason why he is where he is now is not because his family was a billionaire but because he did a great fucking job yeah and he earned his way and you know maybe he got the job at first because his dad knew somebody who knew somebody but now like i meet that guy and like i had no idea that this kid came from privilege yeah you know like i just knew that he was a counterpart who was doing his job really well yeah if you're listening to this and you are in a place of privilege man go use that privilege use or something. it yeah that that's a more of a disgrace than like not doing anything with it because Much. you're ashamed of your privilege Much. right go fucking make something up. i mean we can do like i think really what's going to change this world change the culture transform this industry is the people that have the privilege that choose to do something with it For and sure. like, that's how we're going to make change is by For sure. by you know and by the way, this restaurant business ain't happening without privilege to a yeah. certain extent, like mm-hmm. whether it be your privilege or your investor's privilege or the like, guests like it, or the guests yeah exactly like no you you're sure like there's like McDonald's and Burger Kings around the country that are uh, there you know to to offer cheap eats and you know there's a place for those things, even though I don't go eat at McDonald's or Burger King like there's a place for it, but like like you just said, like don't fool yourself like no one no one ever open a successful restaurant for free. Yeah. It never happened. Yeah. You had to get money one way or the other. So you had to either go to an investor, you had to go to a bank, you had to go to a friend, you had to yeah. go, you know, there's a few places like where maybe, you know, people really just scrapped it together. But in today's day and age, like no landlord is going to let you sign a lease without any sort of a guarantee, you know, without a security deposit. Like how do you make that happen? Like you need to, the, someone with privilege is helping you make yeah. that happen. So you, you get the money. Um, yeah. Which is honestly the easy part. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, but no, but yeah. Yeah, but you know, like you get the money. Um, anybody can, not anybody, but anybody can, most people can get the money. What you do with it thereafter, staying in business is the hard part. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so 2014, you guys, what were your biggest challenges? Yeah. So we, the biggest challenge, I think, like when we opened this place was that like, um, that like, this is a pretty old building, right? And it's very small. And, my eyes were bigger than my stomach, if that makes sense. Like I, I, I wanted to do like I wanted to do so much, but like very quickly realized 
that like you're very restrained to like your physical space and something that my landlord who's also one of my dear friends like wanted to remind me of all the time he's like you signed a lease as is for these four walls like this is the space that you have yeah make it work with this space you know that was like a very sobering experience because this is 926 square feet you know and like kitchen and dining room kitchen and dining room and there's no walk-in cooler like there's there was you know there was a handful of reach-ins and low boys uh no walk-in freezer maybe we had like a we had a tiny little one of those freezers that you buy at like costco you know like this was really 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 small shop and uh and like right away when nicole and i opened it definitely helped that Nicole had worked for Michelle Bernstein and she had like a little bit of a name. Granted, like no one knew who Nicole was, but people knew who Michelle was. So like when it was like so one of like you were talking to me earlier about Beltron, how he worked for uh, uh, Van Aken and then for Beltron, for, for Schwartz, you know, like nobody knew Michael Beltron when he left. But when all of a sudden when it was, oh, now this guy is the former guy of Michelle Bernstein. Yeah. People are like, oh, he worked for, or, sorry, he was the former guy for Michael Schwartz. Yeah, and, and publicists like, love that shit. They're like, oh, I can it. tie your name to, yeah. like, if you can go stage for eight amazing restaurateurs in a four-year period or two-year period, I'm going to put every one of those names. It helps on the press release. Yeah, exactly. Sure. It helps with being found. People like, yeah. for th- And then that- it helps also like with the customers, like, you yeah. know, people who are like loyal to that chef are like, oh, like I went to, you know, Michelle Bernstein's place for every day for five years you know, every you know every week for five years like the person who made her food happen and is now making it happen here like they yeah. want to be they want to support that person who kind of came from a place that they like so yeah when i was starting this podcast lineage is what i looked at where'd you come from who right. did you who can i ask you about you yeah know? um for sure everyone does it it's it's that's human nature it's human nature networking right so so we opened and uh, like right away ripped it it was like instantaneous we were also one of the only people that were like small enough to like truly be farm to table. And at the yeah, time, no choice. It had to be fresh because you couldn't refrigerate it. There was no room. to be fresh. And Nicole, to this day, I mean, like, I don't think I've ever spent as much money on produce as I did for the first like six months of opening Fuchs. Like we were, we were just like going out to the farms, meeting every single farmer. We were buying from farmers that, that, I that like don't even exist today, but that were just like tiny little people doing tiny little batches. Like we were getting like CSAs from them, you know, on 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 a weekly basis, and like a lot of it was like not even like we would just be like, just give me whatever you have that's fresh. Like we'll figure it out. Yeah, you know, like there was not even the menu we'll was always changing. Like that's what the sure, flavor like, bibles for. Yeah, the flavor <laughs> bible. That, there was sure like there was some dishes that like were like our signatures. You know, like our bucatini matriciana, like our meatballs. You know, we had our Brussels sprouts that were like just like corner pieces. But then we were just like. F- like throwing great ingredients into the mix and we were doing it like her in the back with two three other people me in the front with two three of my friends that were literally like my friends tired like my boy's girlfriend my other girl's boyfriend like that's what it was so after all this time going to studying working in great restaurants did you find that your folk like that your draw was front of house yeah at that time it was like i i just i think that like if I hadn't had Nicole, it would have been a different story. I would have had to, I would have had to go from the back to the front, but just like having that person who like, like we were talking about earlier, like someone who knows more than you, you know, like yeah. 
I, she knew more than me yeah, about like, food. Get your ego out of the way. Yeah, like, this like, is clearly where you belong. Like, exactly. Be back there. Yeah. Be back there. And like, I, I could obviously like sit there and talk to her about everything. We could discuss dishes and create dishes together and find ingredients together. But at the end of the day, like I had never She's run a kitchen. Yeah. You know, like she had run a kitchen. Yeah. She had seen the way. Like she'd learned. Like for years, you know, at the time she must have, she must have been, she is 10 years older than me, I think, you know, give or take like seven or eight years older than me. Also, what a pair of balls to go like to walk up to an older woman, a professional and be like, I'm, I'm 24 years old. You're in your mid thirties. I'm going to recruit you to come open a restaurant. with Yeah. That's pretty baller. It was pretty baller. And she, she was amazing and we did killer job together. And after nine months, like she dropped the bomb on me that she got a better paying job. And I was so pissed. Oh, really? I've never been more upset at anybody. I felt like super betrayed. I felt like I had spent all this time, you know, like building her up and putting, you know, putting her, you know, putting her name out there and, and like, you know, just like it was a team. Like we were, we did this together. Like we opened the restaurant together and like after nine months to just like move on, I was just like, okay, now what? You know, like now I have to go to the back. Like now I have to yeah. figure out like what is the identity of this of the food of this restaurant you know like so much of the identity was was you know her culinary background and and obviously there was a lot of mine as well but it was it was like i said it was she was running the back and i was running the front so i ended up uh, doing you know everything i could to try and find a replacement and you know she gave me i don't know like a month's notice and um i got really lucky a friend of mine I actually ran into like one of the best chefs ever in Miami, this guy Roel Alcudia, who now is works at just got a James Beard nomination for Stissing House in New York. But he he was uh, the chef of one of Michael Schwartz's restaurants called Cypress Room, and he had just gotten he had just like walked out of the restaurant, and like there was like a whole Miami article, Miami Herald article about how like he walked out of the restaurant and like the whole staff walked out with him. That and, sounds familiar. Yeah. This I, is, this is uh, where is this? It's called the Cypress Room here in Miami. Oh, I'm listening to, I think what I was referring to was uh, in Chicago, Michael, I can't think of his last name, past guest on the show, and his, uh, his chef, Dyson Tyson, or Tyson? Tyson. Tyson. They similar, yeah, similar thing where like they didn't own the restaurant, they were just the talent, and like they're being treated like shit. Yeah, that was what So happened. they were just like, they're like, oh, okay, well, we're gone. And then once they left, Everyone, Everyone was like, "Why we're not working for these assholes that sit in the ivory tower?" Correct. You know, like we're just gonna leave too. Yeah, and like by the way, like that's how kitchens work for the most part. You know, like you're loyal to your chef. Yeah. You know, and and it's not a question of like to be disrespectful to the owner. It's just like you know, this is the guy who's fostered. He's like my. I'm teacher, not here for my know? paycheck. Like, At that level, you're not there for correct. a paycheck. You're correct. there for the people that you're associating. And correct. Your brand too. And so, like a couple days after Nicole told me she she was leaving, and I saw that this happened, I was like in line at a coffee shop in Wynwood and like I looked over and I was like this guy looks familiar I think I just saw his face in the Miami Herald and like I tapped him on the shoulder I was like are you Roel from my from Michael Schwartz he's like it's like yeah yeah I was like oh I'm David Fuchs from from Fuchs restaurant he's like oh I heard about your place I was like yeah why don't you come over for dinner tonight like bring your wife he was like okay yeah why not and he came over for dinner we sat right there nice and he uh and like we hit it off nice. and right away he was, I was like, listen, like, you know, this is what happened. You know, this is where I'm at. Like, what do I do? And he's like, listen, like, I'm not ready to jump back into the kitchen, but you know, I have a bunch of really great kids who are trying to leave with, who are trying to leave the restaurant because I left and you know, they're looking for a home and, and you seem like a really great guy. 
you know, I'll, I'll come and work for 20 bucks an hour. And if, if you take a couple of my boys and, you know, I'll train them to become the head chefs with you here and we'll, and we'll, you know, we'll figure this thing out. And, you know, once this place is, is kind of like squared up and ready to go, I'll move on to my next opportunity. Did you by any chance read how to win friends and influence people? <laughs> I got so lucky, dude. I'm telling you, I think it's the good vibes. It's did you read that book? I did not. You did not? Because like listening to, to that it. book is just, I see a lot of that in you. Uh, like the lessons just like you, you have like part of what I'm trying to do when I'm sitting down talking to people is just trying to figure them out. Mm. Like, why are you successful? What is it about you? I mean, lots of things obviously contribute to this, but a big thing that I'm picking up on is you're just not afraid to go talk to people and to tell people that you like them, that you're impressed by them, that you admire their work. And when you, when you're transparent about your admiration for other people and you, and you just take an interest in other people, a curiosity in other people, they're going to take curiosity. They're going to, it's, it's reciprocal. hundred percent. That, that kind of stuff. Especially it, when it's sincere. Yes. Yes. Um, is that a big part of your success? Just being Huge able to part. talk to anybody? Huge part. I, I always, uh, I always, my mom always used to joke that if you put me in a room with a fly, I'd speak with a fly. You know, it's like, <laughs> I was a yappy person. Natural I always like to, yeah, natural you podcast. You're going to start your own podcast pretty soon. Well, you know, I'm um, trying to write a TV show. So. There you go. If you have any questions, let me see if I can help you. Uh, so, um, okay. So we have Fuchs. You guys yeah. closed in 2000. So we uh, actually ended well, up. Not closed, but transitioned the space. Yeah. So, so we ended up like after I, I got the next guy in here and, and got that place sorted out. It really got dialed in. We had like okay. a kind of like a rough second year in business just because like... How long was Nicole with you? Eight months? Like nine months. Nine yeah, months. Eight, nine so months. almost a year. Yeah, almost a year. And then, and then when Brian came, which was the next chef, who was like my brother, uh, he, he lasted for like three years. Okay. And we built just like an amazing relationship together. And, and I was a groomsman at his wedding. And, you know, I, I, he's like he met his wife working here in the kitchen. Yeah. And now they own a restaurant together in San Antonio. And there's a picture of us on the wall there. Yeah. It was like the first person who like moved on from me to like to like do his own restaurant, and I, I have so much appreciation, and gratefulness for him. But we kind of like really focused the menu, and we went, we tried to understand, you know, like what are we trying to do here? And you know, the Fuchs was a representation of my place in life at that point. You know, where what what was how was I gonna what was what felt right? And you know, I brought Brian home to my to my home in New York to meet my mom and my family. And he spent, you know, like a week at our place, like eating the food that I ate, you know, like I took him to all the little spots that I liked eating my mom's food, you introduce know, him to all of your friends, like to introduce him to all my <laughs> friends. Yeah. He actually did stage there, nice. Danielle, which was cool nice. for him. But he, um, he ended up having like some leftover Persian food that we cooked, uh, the night before in the middle of the night. And, and he like calls, he wakes me up the next day. He's like, David, like, this is what we got to make. Yeah. It's Gorma Sabzi. Like, this is the best dish ever. Like, this is like Latin food, but better. <laughs> I was like, because he's Colombian, you know, and, and I was like, yeah, I guess when you put it that way, it is. <laughs> uh, and so, like, we already had like a little bit of Persian influence, like one dish, but he was like, listen, let, like, let's dive into this. Like, mm -hmm. how, like, let's make this like really like Persian and French. Like, that's what you are, right? Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, that's what I am. So, let's make that. Yeah. This place has your name on the door. It's called yeah. Fuchs. Like, what is Fuchs? You how know? old was David? Brian, Brian, sorry. Brian was, uh, he was my age. Okay. He was like maybe a year older than me. He was maybe like 27 and, or 28. And so where my mind is going right now is I'm wondering because was, was the age difference a challenge for you and Nicole? It definitely was a little bit of a challenge. I think like also like for Nicole, like it just wasn't the, like she, she I think that like she had a family, you know, yeah. she, like a, she was like a mother of two 
and um, it's really hard. Yeah, it's really hard to like, be. A I mother. remember being twenty four years old. Yeah. Like you, wor- you bust your ass, but at the end of the day, you also want to have fun. You also want to have fun. Yeah, you're still at that page where you're like you're living dude. for like, sure. You, you feel sure. indestructible when you're twenty four. For sure, uh, and I can see like there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a part of na- like part of life to, to live, part of life to go through that. Was there tension with? Did you? I mean, I'm not making. I'm assuming a young guy in Miami, you probably had some balance between working your ass. No, off. I had no balance. Were you still having a good time? Were no. you going out? No, okay. not during the first. No, okay. it was just like here all day, every single day. Got it. Like I had a lot of fun before, <laughs> and I had a lot had of fun. Of I had a lot of fun uh, <laughs> once. Once, like I had this place. Like I think after like year three, it was like when like I, the place was like in autopilot, and like I really then like then that's like when I found balance. Yeah, but like no, there was no balance in the beginning. Yeah. Like I literally didn't. I was here every single day for like the first I don't know twenty four so months. You own five concepts now. Yeah. How many concepts opened during the period of owning Fuchs? Because um, you closed Fuchs in 2021, right? Yeah, so we closed Fuchs. So during, so right when the pandemic hit, we had just had our best quarter ever, like uh, d- January, February, at March Fuchs. at Fuchs. Yeah, I think we were like 30% And that's the only, the only restaurant you own, right? We had Sushi Naz also. Okay, when did yeah. that open? Uh, 2018. Okay, cool. Which, and that was in New York City? Or New, York City. Okay. New York City. New York City. But we... we uh, I guess the pandemic was really hard on us because as you see, this is a small space. And like before, like when Fuchs existed, it was all about like being really close. All the tables were like, there was like this much room between each table. You know, I was squeezing 35, 40 people inside this dining room where like probably it should have been 25, you know, like, but during COVID times, like when they, although Miami, like, thank you. Ron DeSantis for letting us open earlier than other states over like I look back I'm, I'm super grateful for that but it was it was really 25% occupancy then 50% did not work for this no this was a vibe driven place like people were here to be close to each other yeah. they were not here to like sit one person over there one person over here and one person over there yeah it wasn't happening so we 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 you know right when like that first PPP loan came you know I was just like okay like I have enough money to take care of my staff here. Like the government gave me enough money to basically like pay the people who I care about, which at the end of the day was the only thing keeping me open was I was like, I don't care if I lose money. Like these people rely on me, you know, like I have 15 people and I got to take care of them. So when this thing fucking passes over, like I still have people, I don't lose my people. Exactly. Exactly. So, Um, you know, we tried doing like that whole, like, uh, like the boxes, you know, where like we would make like a box, like a, chicken box you know like a chicken sauce like you things to cook at home you know we'd give you like the at home prep box or whatnot and we tried that for a little while it wasn't really hitting finally one day i was just like you know what i'm gonna give this a break we got everybody got paid everybody got a little bit of money i need a break i'm fried this is too much right now. This is not a good time. It's not what you signed up for. Either. It's not what I signed up yeah, for. I think like, people need to understand that. Like people get into this industry because they love the energy. Yeah, they love. There was being no close. energy. Yeah, man. It was so dark and so negative. Yeah, you know, every day you had to worry. You know, I like that. I'll You're wearing never, a mask. Yeah, people are no, wearing masks. You can't even like see no. if they're enjoying. Well, no. you can see if they're eating. Their, they, but you know what I'm saying. It was like, surreal. Yeah. It was honestly like it was like like really surreal opening and running a restaurant at that point. And I and I kind of had this idea. I was like, well, there's a lot of people doing cool pop ups right now. A lot of people trying to do cool stuff at home who like would die to have the space right now to operate out of who don't share this like who who are not fried the way that I was fried from having busted ass for so long and 
just the, the, the deception of having to go from where we were to where we were now. And I, I started basically coming up with an idea to like lease out, like sublease out my kitchen space for pop-ups. And, and then we did that and we, we hosted a, a Laotian pop-up and then we did a pasta and wine, natural wine pop-up with a girl who's, who's now my, my head of people for We All Gotta Eat. Nice. Amazing. Nice. She's my first manager at Fuchs. Um, and, and like for like six months, I didn't have to worry. Because so, like I was getting a check. How does that work? Like, what's the 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 business model? Like, what like where like how do you structure that? I love the idea of pop ups. To I think it was like I was just taking a percentage of their sales. You know? So you have the space. You're basically renting the space out. To yeah, them. yeah. Um, they are using all of your equipment, all of your plates, and everything. Yeah, everything. So they yeah. literally just have to show up with their recipes. Um, are they using a, their own? They're bringing their own POS in. Uh, no, they use everything of mine. Got it. everything of mine. Um, with the with the Laotian people, it must have lasted three months, and and then with Lena, it probably lasted three months also. And it gave me like a breather, and and it allowed cash me, flow. But not even honestly, yeah. it was just like enough money to just keep break the lights. even. Yeah, break even to just keep the lights autopilot. On. Literally keep <laughs> yeah. the lights on. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the government helped out a lot. Like the U S government really came through during COVID. And I think that's obviously why we're all suffering from this crazy inflation right now. So it depends how you slice it, you know, like cut off your left hands, you know, that's kind of what it was, you know, but, but it helped get us through that time where we literally had no other, where we had no other options. And like, we were like the victims of something that was outside of our control. Yeah. And it allowed us, my brother and I to, at Sushi Naz also, like we were, we had just been open for like maybe a year. We'd already gotten a Michelin star. We had gotten a lot of hype. You know, we were, we were super excited about that, but we were also like, had been working so hard on it and we had been just so like focused on that space and on this space that we didn't really like, we weren't ready to expand, you know, yeah. like it, it, we knew we wanted to expand. We knew we wanted to open more restaurants, but like it was really hard to like take a step back and be like, you know, yeah. How, how do we do this yeah. with two fully operating restaurants? I don't think we're going to do a speed round today. So I'm going to take my, my next break now to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to kind of unpackage more of when and how you opened restaurants, why you knew it was the right time. And maybe if it wasn't the right time, what you learned about that. Uh, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Are you looking to grow your restaurants in 2023? Are you and your team focusing on driving more revenue? Or maybe you're interested in connecting more with your diners. Perhaps you want to increase your sales without physically expanding your brick and mortar. If any of these things sound familiar, then maybe you're looking for Pop Menu. Pop Menu is the restaurant technology designed to make growing your restaurant easy. With Pop Menu, you can attract more guests to your website that's designed to easily collect their contact info and data so you can see what your guests love and why they love to dine with you. With Pop Menu, you can stay top of mind and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that drives new and repeat business. And with Pop Menu, make all your systems work better together. Improve your margins and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence. Pop Menu, technology for restaurants that are ready to grow. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, plus lock in one 
unchanging monthly rates at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and to learn more about Pop Menu's entire collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And um, you mentioned something we glossed over it real quick, but then you started to talk about pop-ups and I was interested in that. I'm interested in coming back to the pop-ups, but you said you got to this place to the point where it was on autopilot Yeah. where for the yeah. first two years yeah. you were like, you didn't have a life. You had no, no work life balance. What no. changed in your life in the, and in the restaurant that made you in a year go to autopilot from My no life died. to autopilot. My mom died. Damn. Yeah. I was a big bomb. How did that improve your business? That's a lot of the time, even like weird saying that, like, like uh, a lot of the time when you can't like let go of something, like it's your own mind that's like holding you there. You know, like if you trust the people around you and you do a good, like if you have a good business, it has to run without you. Mm. Like it's just one of those things where it's like if it can't run without you, you're you're doing it wrong. It's one of the biggest mistakes restaurant like, owners clearly. Make you're not going to be, you're going to be sick sometimes. Like you're going to be unwell. Things are going to happen. You might die, you know, like who knows, like whatever. And when my mom passed first, she got sick and then she passed during that time. I was just like completely disconnected. Like Mm. I couldn't even think about the restaurant. You know, I was just like, why, like what is the restaurant? Like what is life? You know, like if you're a person that you love and look up to the most is dying on you, it's like, that's the most important thing. Was she thing. in New York? She was in New York, yeah. yeah. So I obviously had to spend a lot of time in New York. And like when I got the, the news that she had cancer, I had to tell my staff, which, which again, like thank God that my staff were like my family. There was three women who were amazing, the Fuchs Angels, that ran this place. And I, and I had a great team in the back. And like I told them, I was like, guys, like you had my all for this last like three years, but like I can't. Like, yeah. like I gave it all. Like this is it. Like I need a break. Yeah, I need to like take care I of got, my family. I got this far. Yeah, like, like please, like yeah, take, it, take it, take it from here, and just like make sure that it doesn't burn to the ground. And um, and and when she got sick, I I like really got that like feeling. It changed everything about work life balance. You know, it's like why work so hard if you can't enjoy your life? You know, yeah. like why do we do what we do if it's just to kill ourselves? Yeah. You know? So I ended up meeting the woman who I'm going to marry who's amazing best thing that ever happened to me who was late getting to the beach this morning because of you so sorry Danny (laughs) please don't kill me and I'm sorry that a bird shot (laughs) we got a text message during our break and Dave's in trouble yeah I'm in trouble (laughs) but um she was the best gift ever and it was one of those things where you know like my mom it was like it was like my mom passed it was like a rite of passage Mm. you know like she left I, they had like a year of overlap, but like she like totally like handed me off to Danielle and Danielle like replaced. And I had lost my grandma a year before that, who was like my other mom, like my Danielle's second Danielle's your fiance. Yeah. yeah. So I had lost like two of the most important women in my life. I had broken up with the woman, the woman who I dated for, you know, better part of eight years. We were all, we were engaged at the time and it was just like, kind of like everything, like, all like my female energy was like getting like stripped away from me. Mm. And, um, and she came into my restaurant one day and like, it was like instant, like instant love. Mm. Like we, we just, the second we like, second we met, there was a fire that I, that was just un, undeniable. 
And the, after the first date and the first time that we hung out, I took her to New York to meet my mom because I knew my mom was wow. sick. And I was like, I need her to meet this woman because I think that, that she's going to really yeah. get behind her. Yeah. And my mom had never liked any of my girlfriends. <laughs> Hated them all. Thought they were all not good enough. <laughs> this, that, and the other. Um, and like I took her. We were just opening Sushi Nas. And I took her to New York. And I don't even think she understood that like we were going to like my family home. Like, we weren't like going to like New York to stay at a hotel or like, like I, I live in my home that like we grew up in. That's where we still live in. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I left my mom and her at a coffee shop and I was like, okay guys, I got to go to work. And I left them there and they just were like, yeah, it was like two lost so this souls. this is after you opened. Uh, right since, after, yeah. right after yeah. 2018. So you're going back and forth a lot. So oh, yeah. that's probably another big reason why, you know, this had to stand on its own because you're For opening sure. a, another restaurant what is that a thousand miles north for sure yeah more thousand miles yeah, yeah. thousand ninety seven yeah so i mean did did your mom say anything to you yeah she said you're gonna marry this girl okay <laughs> right after that first uh <laughs> after that first coffee that they had and she was she was right i'm gonna marry this girl and at this point you knew your mom was headed down at yeah time. i knew she was yeah, yeah. like yeah. i knew there was like a short amount of time left. did she give you like words of like listen david like honestly no that was the best thing about my mom yeah. is that she was never like trying to like teach you anything mm. she just like taught you by like the way that she handled everything mm. you know like she she just had that like energy where like even until the end it was just like she was a, she was a fighter and she was not one of those people who, like wasn't going to give up and like i obviously saw like weakness in her like when you take yeah. chemotherapy the way like it does it really really like changes your your mental your body your whole thing and like i I'm actually like grateful that she passed away like fast because there's like, there was nothing worse than the whole, like seeing her get yeah. destroyed by chemotherapy. Yeah. Like it's one of those things where it's like, God, you know, amazing for the people who it works for. I'd love to know like a scientific number of how many people get yeah. chemo who have like stage three or four cancer that like actually get healed from it. Yeah. I know that there's some people and thank God, like it's, it, it, it is, it works to a certain extent, but like it also doesn't always, yeah. you know? And that was like really, really, really hard to see that happen. But like at least now when I think about my mom, I don't like think about those days. You know, like my grandma had like an eight year dementia, Alzheimer's, like spiral to death. Yeah. Which that That's is hard to watch. So much harder yeah. because like now like she probably passed away when I was like twenty seven and from like when I was eighteen till twenty seven, all my memories of her are of her just you know losing yeah. it yeah like I, I, I obviously still remember my grandma pre her losing it yeah and you had these these memories of the strong people they were and then yeah. you see it go so far so fast yeah it was just like yeah. nightmare i had an uncle I that recently passed from um, super yeah sorry about no, that no i mean yeah. like you said it's 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 a relief after eight years of watching the decline yeah you know you're always like good finally finally yeah, yeah. Uh, so with weird. my mom yeah. it was like it was quick yeah thank god like it was i, mean, I, I don't know if i could have dealt with like five years of chemo battles right. and this and that you know. so i think if there's an underlying message that i'm picking up on i mean obviously like what do you learn from your your loved ones passing but it forced you it forced you to delegate yeah it forced you to draw a line in the sand of saying i am david and this is the restaurant yeah and the restaurant does not need me in it to to go the distance no. um and i think we all need but sometimes we need something catastrophic like that to yeah. happen to pull us away from because we're just so in it we For don't sure. even, like we're just it's all we see we're just in it every day we're yeah. so attached to it um but like and, but that's also like the the one thing that will bury a restaurant owner is not 
building the layers between them and the work because they will burn out. So like, it's almost a blessing like that this happened, that it forced you to get to that level because otherwise you would have never created those layers. It would have been a lot, it would have been a lot harder. And I think I might've burnt myself out more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was lucky. Like you said earlier, like I was young when I started this thing. So like I had, I still am young, yeah. but I had definitely like more energy than I have today. Yeah. But like that, I think like you asked me like, what were like the watershed moments? You know, like, yeah, there's like my, my mom's passing and then COVID mm-hmm. like COVID was like recharge your batteries again. Cause mm-hmm. like once my mom had passed and sushi Nas opened and it had become successful and this place showed me that like it can run without me having to be here 24 seven. And then COVID happens. I was like, I felt like I had gotten my break that I needed. I'd gotten like my batteries recharged. Like weirdly COVID helped me recharge, you know, like it drained me in a lot of ways. Like I've never spent more time trying to pick up the pieces as I did during COVID, but it was at least like picking up the pieces like in peace. Yeah. And you get to reflect, reflect. Yeah. Like, and there was not like this, like constant, like fear that you know like there's so many people relying on you like that's what people like when you're a business owner like you have people who count on you you know like i still had some employees but like we had very few employees and like we were clearly doing the best that we could the government was helping out like there was a lot less pressure to like keep up the act yeah you know so what's your lane today because today um you have five concepts yeah with three Um, more on the on the horizon soon to be eight yeah, soon to be eight. What is your lane? What do you do? What is what is the life? Yeah, so the life is basically uh, my brother and I, my bro, who's the fucking man. He younger is or older? Younger. Okay. Younger. He came. He joined me in the restaurant business. Uh, he was a really hard worker. He graduated from NYU. Had no past restaurant experience. No aspirations to be in the restaurant business. Um, until he went to Japan and, and, and kind of had a similar experience to me uh, where he just was like on his ass about how incredible Japan was and how I'll incredible it's, it's a must. Yeah. Now that it's a reopened, it's a must. And let me know. I'll hook it up for you. Awesome. But um, hear that? we're going to Japan. Yeah, you're going to Japan. I'm talking to Sam over my shoulder. Yeah. Bring the camera. All right. And so he, he, he had like a whole like career plan for himself, uh, like art business and finance and he he had he had like a lot of ideas what he wanted to do and when we went to japan and the whole sushi situation came to be and it was becoming evident that there was going to have to be someone that was going to be doing the new york version of what i had been doing in miami it was i you know it was either going to be him or the whole thing like wasn't going to happen well that was one of my thoughts i was like how the fuck did he open a miami restaurant and new york restaurant new york was number two that's when my bro came in and and he's like a baton you know like past the baton yeah yeah. and he obviously had that same youthful excitement energy and uh and our partner we also cannot just forget that we had the most amazing chef partners how the hell did you find that we met him through a a person who we met in japan it's a story for another day again like don't be afraid to go talk to people yeah no it was that was the the ultimate ultimate don't be afraid to talk to people and and by the way don't even be afraid to talk to people who don't speak your fucking language that's the biggest reason why I haven't done more in international interviews because I'm like podcast conversation. Get a translator. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like how am I going to do this? Do it. Yeah. Figure it out yeah. because they're just as interesting, if not more. Oh, I'm sure and there's that, so much but more. It's a matter of being able to like capture it. You know? Yeah, it's, it's tough, but we we ended up meeting him through like a series of very fortunate events, and um, and he became our partner, and it was just the three of us, and. 
I had obviously like the restaurant experience. Nas had the chef experience. My brother had that youthful business, business minded, just like yeah. Youth. What was his NYU? Do- uh, I think his his was like he went to Gallatin, which was like one of those like create your own major okay. colleges, and I think it was something like philosophy and art. I think art history, something like that. And he he, but he was just like my brother is like a total brainiac who is like an information his brain like sucks up information in a way that like i don't ever see people do like he has major sleeping problems always has and and this kid like can stay up until five in the morning and just like absorb research wikipedia yeah like wikipedia (laughs) like auctions like you name it like he knows everything he somehow like has he's like a bank of knowledge a bank of information and he has he had like some strong finance skills some strong excel computer skills and and obviously we we're both raised by the same people so he shared same a lot guys. of the same same you know traits that i had although like very different we're like super different yeah um and but he yeah, had the same culture co- same culture yeah. but like totally different like skill set which yeah. is also which part is of important. why yeah why we've been able to be so successful and so he took you know he kind of was like you know fuck it i'm gonna do this thing and he had a blast doing it and he did the same thing I did at Fuchs. Everything was there every single day, you know, first one in last one out for the first year. And then when COVID hit and we all, and we were all trying to like reassess, you know, I was kind of like taking a break, you know, I was like a little bit, like I said, fried, you know, I was like, I needed a little break. He was like, let's go, you know, yeah. like, you know, you can't well, clip me like in the first year of like business, but like, we honestly, had gotten like, a Michelin star, we had gotten all this like, the, the the train was like rolling you yeah. know like when the, it was like really hard to like have to take a step back and to cool it down yeah. so he he hit it with like what, what what brought you the star was that fuchs or the no sushi nuts. sushi that's what i thought sushi nuts, yeah. yeah so we got a star in our first like six months of being open which was insane and uh and like yeah like maybe like four months five months six months after we got the star covid hit and um and and we had to like reinvent ourselves at sushi Naz. And, you know, the first, the, the first reinvention was takeout. So we, we were doing takeout sushi. Yeah. And sushi does great travel. It does. Yeah. And it was something that we literally had never thought of. Yeah. Josh and I, you would have told us that we were going to be serving takeout sushi. It would have laughed at you. I said, yeah. What the fuck is takeout yeah. sushi? You yeah. know, like I never ordered takeout sushi <laughs> for what it's worth. And he didn't either. Yeah. And, you know, so we were like, you know, what is it that people want? Like, what, like, how do we get people? Like, how does Sushi Naz, which is the most, like, attention to detail, master of sushi concept that exists, how do we turn that into, into a feasible takeout model without bastardizing all the work that we put into it? And so, basically, you know, we use that approach, like, how are we going to be best in class? Did and you figure, how did you figure out the world takeout? Like, the, the first week we were just doing these like tuna salmon bowls and these like plastic shitty containers that like you'd get at like any takeout dumpy sushi place and like somehow people were ordering it but my brother was like this is an embarrassment yeah like i refuse to put the sushi brand sushi nas brand on this plastic box yep and and he like i said he's a genius he deep dove into japanese packaging and just found this unbelievable packaging on brand on brand yeah and and like spent i don't know how much money on buying all these wood boxes from japan and shipping them over and and we started like getting during creative with it during a pandemic <laughs> you know we started getting creative supply with chain it. supply chain <laughs> like 
and we got like these beautiful boxes, branded them, and we were when we went from doing just like tuna salmon bowls to like, you know, uh, like a sashimi omakase on a box or a hand roll omakase yeah. in a bigger box. You open the bag and. Like butterflies are flying yeah. out. <laughs> it was insane. We were doing more sales than we were doing when we were this omakase place. Yeah. So that that was kind of like a jolt for there us. There was a huge opportunity for takeout, like because everyone was doing takeout, but at the same time, everybody nobody knew how to do takeout. So if you put energy into the packaging, the, yeah. like creating an at home experience, thinking about every little detail of like how can you put yourself like just like you get to put yourself in <clears throat> every seat in your restaurant, you have to put yourself in your the seat of your guest at home opening that bag and For going sure. through the experience and like what is this going to be like that's where he really excels he's really good at, at, at he's really good at just like thinking about every detail and he 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 thought it he thought it through him and Nas and the team found you know a way to really make sushi sexy at yeah. home and um, and New York City obviously was a long time before we were allowed to open yeah. and then we had to close again and then we were to open again and it was a nightmare. I mean, yeah. terribly run state, New York. You should be ashamed of yourselves. So look at the clock, dude. And you got a you got a, a flight to catch. At, yeah, I got a flight in to catch. Um, about twenty minutes. You got to be out the door. Yeah, so I we got ten minutes together. We got to break down too. Cool. Yeah. So I just want to say we had ten minutes. Yeah. How the hell should we spend the next ten minutes? What? I mean, I'll tell you talk- quickly. What steamrolled after that is you know Josh went in like a hazmat suit and started like looking for spaces in New York City, which well. Yeah, I mean, sorry, keep going. Yeah, like like COVID time, like like we were like, this is a time of opportunity. If you exactly, if you survived COVID, and you're freaking good at what you do, and you're young, and you're driven, and you're willing to put the sweat equity in, it was a great time. To it was be a, a part great of this time because like there's the shells of restaurants everywhere. Yeah, so we did that, and we picked up you know three leases as like what we call like COVID deals. So this explains how you went from one or two, two to, to five, potentially eight. Well, two to five. Which are now the, the two other ones that are open? Nas Seventeen got a Michelin star also nice. uh, after six months. That opened last uh, twenty twenty one December. That was a COVID deal. That was a, we signed that lease like literally like April twenty twenty mm-hmm. or like May twenty twenty when it was like it looked like the world was yeah. going to end. So the balls that we had to do that. Um, the Nas Market, which is our casual sushi restaurant, which we took over on the corner next door to Sushi Nas, which is now like our more casual takeout style uh, sushi restaurant that also has an omakase component. So you took all those lessons you learned during the pandemic and you focus it on its own concepts. Correct. Yeah. Might as well apply those new lessons. Like one, that's when what we did. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then pizza and then 11th street happened. The next location was also a COVID deal. A guy who went out of business. So this is 11th street pizza, which was Fuchs. Originally. Which was Fuchs. Yeah. He so closed. This so, is now so you went from street. pop-ups to pizza to pizza. Yeah. Which, Why pizza? Pizza? Because <laughs> a couple reasons. One, because I'm a pizza freak. It First and foremost. This pizza was so good. Uh, second of all, because a buddy of mine during the pandemic owned a series of Papa John's in New York City, like 36 Papa John's. And like we were together when I was getting like my P&Ls showing me how much money I was losing at Fuchs and he was getting his P&L showing how much money he was making <laughs> and I again was, go talk to people go ask questions and he was t- and he was like feeling embarrassed to tell me how much money he was making oh yeah but I was like dude like he's like you gotta open pizza restaurants that's it like forget about it like this is the time like go to do pizza and my dad had always told me like pizza pizza it used pizza. to be even better dude back in the 90s and early 2000s before flour the price of flour doubled and dairy doubled yeah Dude, like the margins on pizza was 
outrageous. Outrageous. It's There's not a reason like why that pizza anymore. guys always have really nice cars and houses. Yeah. yeah. Now, now we don't. <laughs> but um, but so so we ended up doing pizza, and I deep dove into the pizza world, and I I got inspired by a couple people up north that were just like that showed me that like pizza can be done right. Yeah. Pizza can be done in a high end way. Pizza can be done. You know, you can be best in class, and it's not just luck. You know, it's like what you put into it is what is what happens. You know, like a lot of places in New York City, pizza, the most successful pizza places, they were just the most successful because they were on the best corner, on the most busy street, and they opened as many of them as they could. But it wasn't actually because the pizza was better than anyone else's. You know, like Joe's Pizza, like amazing business, but like it's the same as like almost every other corner store pizza. They're using cheap alt Trump flour, you know, cheap cheese. Maybe their tomato sauce is a little bit more, a little bit less sugar than the guy next to him. But like, he's not craft. He's not artisan. Nothing about him is craft artisan, other than the fact that he's Joe's Pizza. You mm-hmm. know, like that. That that was a little bit like why I had never done pizza and was I was not interested. When I saw that there's actually like people who are trying to be great at pizza and it's not just like the pizza shop that's there because it's there. I was like, we got to go full blast, and we went full blast. Open this pizza place. Portnoy gave us a crazy score for the better or for worse. You know, it was amazing, but we were totally not ready for it. Like we got blasted yeah, right. like from one day to the next. Like I've gotten Michelin stars. I like, cooked at the James Beard house. I've done all this other stuff. I've never seen a needle move more than Prez. Like, and I, I hope he hears me <laughs> because it was literally, and I know he knows this because he said it to me on the phone that day when he came and I, I wasn't here when he came. I was celebrating. My brother had just gotten engaged and we were, we were celebrating and he came and, and and they put him on the phone. They're like, after he left, and Dave's like, I gave you a really good score. You're going to be really, really busy tomorrow. You're going to be really busy tomorrow. I was like, what, what score did I get? Like, and he hung up the phone. And then the next day, the video came out. We got an 8.2. And at the time, it was like the second highest score in the Southeast United wow. States or something. And the second the video dropped, like he's like, I'm dropping it. At, he's like, I'm dropping it at 5 p.m. You're like, why? Like, what do I care? I like, at five oh one, the phones. Thank you for calling Eleventh Street. Please hold. Thank you for calling Eleventh Street. Please wow. hold. Thank you for calling Eleventh Street. Please hold. I was getting guys like, hi, this is like Sheikh Abdullah from Dubai. You know, we'd like to bring your concept to Dubai, or this is this person. <laughs> you know, we'd like to open your place. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm I'm doing thirty pies a day, hand mixing me and like four friends like in the kitchen. Like this isn't even a business. This is yeah. a pop up. Yeah, it was not what it was today. Like it was the old Fook space. The kitchen was only behind that wall, and we had a pizza oven. And this place was a mess. Yeah. If and you want to see this pizza, it's delicious, amazing. We got some really great footage of it. Go yeah. check out our YouTube You'll channel. Check it out. Yeah. And, and so Portnoy really put us on the map and. We went from doing, like I said, 30, 40 pies a day to like I could have sold 300, 400 if I had the manpower. And like that first week of doing, uh, of being like super slammed by Portnoy, like we were, we were doing this like you were had to like pre-order the pizza before, like through this like talk website situation. How awesome is that? That you're pre-selling pizza? No, it was terrible. It was really? terrible. It was, it was, it was a bad idea. I, 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 I look back on it and I <laughs> wish I would have not done it, but it was the only way that I could do it because well, you only have one oven. I only counted one. Oven. Yeah. We had only one oven. Like you couldn't come in. There was no counter. There was no like POS yeah. station. There was no display counter. It was just like real, like grassroots pop-up style, you know, like Ordered a pre-ordered a pizza. You came. You showed up. We brought you brought it to you outside, and yeah. it was by the way still COVIDy time. That's right. You know, so like whatever. One day to the next, I I, I was about. I had already felt that it was something was coming out of it, and I said, you know what? After three months of co- of 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 Portnoy, 
I was like, this is, I got to shut this down and I got to redo the whole thing. I got to like make it a real pizza shop because people are expecting a great pizza and they're expecting a great experience. And similarly to what we were doing with the takeout and the pandemic at Sushi Naz, I was like, this is not a representation yeah. of best we of all got to eat and best in class. Like yeah. maybe the pizza is delicious, but like I was getting people who were roasting me. I ordered a pizza. I showed up. It wasn't ready for an hour. Or, you know, Prez, you know, gave him a good score. This place sucks. Like I, I got more review hate during that like, yeah. two weeks but that comes that's, that's when you know you've made it yeah yeah no literally like it's funny because like i got so many one star reviews and i got so many five star reviews yeah. like i got so many reviews of people who didn't even show up like prez gave it a 8.2 five stars you know like <laughs> but like i remember that like i was embarrassed you know i was like this is not like of course that's all you see like all the five stars go like yeah but you see that one two star that one one star and like your world's crumbled for the day yeah yeah so it really it did help me like build a little bit of a tough skin towards that but it also like was another one of those like watershed moments where it's like you know like you have you're on to something like now go and make it great Mm -hmm. and so that's that's where we're at right now we're bringing fuchs back which which is my biggest uh biggest project that i have going on right now we're it's gonna be 15 times bigger than the original one crazy um, and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be all wood fired and it's going to be a, what Fuchs was to me back then, a representation of where I'm at my, at my life then. It's a representation of where I am in my life today. Was it today. Josh that helped you with that? Uh, Nicole started and it was Josh? Uh, Brian. Brian. No, Brian's not coming back. Okay. Um, I have another amazing person who's going to be part of the team that I'm literally cannot hide my excitement about, but I have to because he has a job. <laughs> but um he's gonna be he's gonna be our guy and he's gonna be he's gonna kind of i think be a very very instrumental part of why fuchs is gonna be successful yeah. and i'm um, hoping to bring back some of the old gang you know some of the people that i worked with back in the day that that made fuchs great i hope to get him back on the squad and we have an amazing landlord an amazing development in a very beautiful space with the best designers that i could have ever dreamed of and I, I got like my dream restaurant coming, so that that's super super exciting. Beautiful. One last question before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Yeah. In your words, how does the the industry need to transform? How do we go into the future intentionally, proactively, not reactively? Well, I think that there's like it's a big question, and there's a lot of answers to that. You know, I think obviously like sustainability uh, in general to this industry is something that like we all need to be really knowledgeable and understanding and do our best to be as to be the least wasteful as possible as an industry. I think that that's like one of the most important things. Human, the way we treat our humans, the way that we treat our people who work for us and work with us, the way that we treat customers. I think we have to just keep, we have to up the humanity of the whole thing, which is already happening. Like the days of, you know, COVID helped. Yeah. COVID helped the days of, but listen, it it helped and it hurt. Like the days of like being able to like berate someone in the kitchen because they cooked the steak wrong or probably long gone. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. But it's also, you know, it's, it's it's also going to be like, there needs to be this like new, there needs to be new inspiration. You know, there needs to be like, it can no longer be like ruling with fear, you know, like I think it needs to be now it's like, and now it's like ruling with compassion, you know, like obviously like that doesn't mean that you're going to turn soft or that doesn't mean that you're not going to expect the most out of people. I mean, the hours are still going to be the hours. You well, know? you're still rigid and this is where communication comes in. This is the standard. This is right. our expectation. We will tell you if you're not meeting the expectation, but we are telling you what the expectation is from day one. So now, you know, if you don't meet it, 
there's a door right there's there. There's a door. And we're going to do everything we can to help you meet that expectation. 100%. But it's, it's more of, yeah, it's just communication. I think it's communication, it's candor, it's compassion, it's all that combined. Yeah, I think just like being like, being like kind, kind to one another in this business. Like I, I really get, I'm a stickler about that. Yeah. I really don't like when people are not kind. Yeah. It's one of those things where do what you want to do, but like, be nice amongst each other like this is not a violent place it's not an aggressive place like this is a place that we need to treat everybody with respect and and these are your family like this is your brother and your sisters like treat that lady behind you like if she's older than you treat her like you she was your mother you know if if it's a girl who's younger than you or a guy who's younger than you treat him like he's your son you know like treat these people because these are like that's what this is the restaurant business is a family and and that's why i love this business that's why i do it with my family my brother is my partner. My dad's my partner. My fiance is my partner. She works full time with us at the pizza shop and does all of our social media for Fuchs and for 11th oh, Street. That's the dream right it's there. The Any dream. ladies out there want to come travel the country and do social media, hit me up. She's, I need a partner. She's incredible. <laughs> and she's it just, just having her and, and, and my brother's wife does all of the social media for Sushi Naz, which is amazing. Like keeping it in the fam is definitely yeah. something that, that we want to to push as much of and and i think that you know the industry in general i'm very happy that there's like just more mom and pop shops coming back you know it's like we went through like a phase where like i feel like it was just like corporate america was taking over the food world now like i see like like you were saying like these there's like little people all over the all over the country and all over the world like making a difference like these covid was amazing because it gave people these opportunities you know to shine the light on people who were maybe you know who like for the people who opened their pop up with me here, Little Laos, they now have you know two like brick and mortar shops where they sell their 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 Laotian food out of. Like yeah. nobody was giving them an opportunity before, you know. Dude, like, I'm I'm not trying to rush the conversation, but because I could sit and talk to you for another hour, I literally could. I really enjoy talking to you. We have seven minutes to pack up. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you. Let me see what the GPS says for the airport. <laughs> yeah. But while you're looking at that, just a quick question, and this is something I ask all my guests: Who do you respect? and admire in the industry somebody that if you found out there were guests on the show dropping knowledge here in store okay well i mean still we got to pack up i want to respect your time i don't want you speeding being dangerous on the way to the airport um so what is the best way who do i respect who do you yeah who do you respect who who, who's somebody that would basically call out a future guest i really don't want to be responsible for deciding who i make an example of i think the industry people who are successful who recognize good work should be steering the ship of restaurant unstoppable. So who, who do you think I should talk to, whether they're in Miami or in different parts of the country, I'll take any referrals. I think that the person who inspires me, maybe not the most every single day, but like one of the people who I am, I'm constantly looking to as like, as someone who is just doing all the right things and somebody who we have similar similar uh, paths and we've collaborated in the past and and although we come from super different backgrounds and we serve totally different types of food um he's just doing all the right things it's simon kim from coat uh coat miami coat new york he's just an absolute what he calls dragon slayer that's what he calls his 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 people He's a dragon slayer. I love that too. He's uh, he's up there with the goats. And Simon Kim. Yeah, Simon Kim. He's just so hardworking, so passionate, so compassionate. Also, treats his people the way that they're meant to be treated, like human beings, not numbers. And he's able to do that and foster a culture 
he's fostered one of the most important things for me is is women in the restaurant business like i've always been a big 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 believer that you know women deserve all the love in this business and they do such a better job (laughs) and they're and they're most of the time such a bigger joy to work with and they've been so underappreciated for a long time and it just it's been obviously like the the kitchen was like a man's world for a long time and i think that it's in in restaurants in general has have not you have we have not seen enough great women get the light and the attention that they deserve and he's done an unbelievable job of fostering that he has two of the best three of the best beverage women on planet earth working for him one of them is my ex uh general manager here her name's macarena carrillo she's incredible and then two uh, victoria james and mia vanderwater two master psalms out of this world wine knowledge that just do an absolutely killer job creative hardworking, understand the business and you know they're they're just like they're they're the stick you know like they're they're like where you know that that's that's what you should strive to be like if you're in this business, man or woman. Like those girls, kill it. Awesome, beautiful stuff. Thank you, Simon. Look, I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. Are you saying I should get those two ladies on the show too? Of course. Okay. Of what course. are the, what are the names? One more time. Uh, well, Macarena Carrillo and her partner Marielle Dalmau are my two two of my ex employees that are now that now have this incredible natural wine club here called uh, Grape Crush. Shout out to Grape Crush, and uh, she's the she's the head sommelier at Cote Miami and Marielle is the beverage director for the Arlo Hotel in Wynwood. And then um, above them, on like the, the hierarchy of the company over there is uh, Victoria James. She's, she's the beverage director for um, the whole Cote group and Mia Vanderwater. Mia is a master som, probably one of the, f- the top, top, top minds uh, in wine out there. And Victoria's a little bit more like on the business side. Mia's a little bit more on like the floor side and, and a little bit more involved in that sense. But they're both killers. Simon, Victoria, Mia, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And uh, how can we connect with you? If we've really enjoyed today's conversation, uh, we're a fan of what you had to share. Maybe we want to come work for you or with you or just ask questions. What's the best way to connect? Best way to connect uh, Instagram. We all got to eat. Yeah. is our uh, our group's handle it's not it has uh are, it's still growing our pages our individual restaurant pages are definitely a little bit more active so uh at 11th street pizza at sushi Naz nyc are, are two main pages but all of our businesses have great pages and then we can be reached at here at 11th street at info at 11th street pizza.com beautiful and this is episode 900 sorry did i cut you short no this is episode 969 if you head over to that uh, restaurantstoppable.com slash 969 we will have a summary of today's discussion uh, any links to tools or services or books recommended uh, and how to connect all over there so just remember 969 you guys should be able to find that information pretty easily and was there something else you wanted to get up before i cut you off no well i just can't say it enough man thank you so much for thank taking you. the time to share your story your knowledge your perspective your mentorship my friend there is no questioning you are unstoppable thank you bro thank you really appreciate pleasure it. was mine thank you so much cheers there's another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable special thanks to our guest today david fukier for coming on being an inspiration and just sharing tons of great stories and knowledge and you're such a young entrepreneur restaurateur i have a feeling dude you're just getting started and i think this is going to be the first of many interviews and i cannot wait to see 
your growth. So if you guys are enjoying today's episode and you want more episodes just like this one coming your way, we need your support. There's a ton of ways you can support the show. You can support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. This is whenever a tool or service is recommended on the show. If there's a link in the show notes, there's a good chance that that is an affiliate link. Click that link and we could earn a commission and we would be telling you about these tools and service regardless of whether or not that commission was there. So thank you for using the links. You can share this podcast with anybody who's aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. Like there's just such a wealth of knowledge. And right now you can go back to episode one on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to the podcast, the whole archive is available. That's been a lot of our constructive criticism lately is that they wish there was more content. So it's all there for you now. And then uh, we're actually going to be in Charleston uh, next month. We're currently in Miami. We got some amazing interviews for you here. Uh, this is two down and we got six more coming your way before we start dropping those Charleston interviews on you. But I want to know who in Charleston do you think we need to make an example of? Uh, we are paying attention and whichever names we get the most referrals of are generally the ones we prioritize. So help us steer the ship. And we really do want the industry to decide who we talk to. Uh, we want this to be a podcast for the industry by the industry and you guys can help with that. So thank you in advance. And our YouTube channel is fire. Right now, Sam Hall from SavinSam.com is sitting to my right, editing videos, making that shit awesome. You need to check it out. Head over to YouTube.com slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, we have shorts. I know a lot of people say that two hours can be a lot for them sometimes. If you want shorter versions, we get 20-minute to 15-minute versions of uh, like super condensed highlights of each episode. And we have the shorts, which are a lot of fun, too. Those are taken off, so check those out. Uh, thank you, to Sav and Sam.com, Sam Hall, for doing a great job and uh, for the social media as well. And then I cannot forget to say thank you to Jared Parisi for the copyright and editing. Sumadre podcast. It takes an army. I'm grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.